Music, friends, fun, and fandom. Join Tom and Steve as we hang out in the digital blunderground. Stop what you're doing. We won't ruin. Get ready to relax and join us in the digital blunderground. Thank you for joining us on the Digital Blunderground. My name is Tom, and I'm with my wingman, Steve. How you doing? Hey, we are here today, this week. Uh, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, last week, on the Digital Blunderground, we started to dive into uh, musical interest. Uh, and so uh, we introduced uh, you, uh, perhaps, to Bill Maloney. Uh, and that was me introducing Steve to the music of Bill Maloney. Definitely me. Yeah, right. It was, yeah, it was new to me. New to you, yeah, yeah. No, great stuff. I, I, I love Bill. I, I owe him a huge debt of gratitude, and I don't think that there's enough hours on a podcast that I could, I could try to extrapolate how much the music has meant to me over the years. I tried to tell my wife a little bit about the podcast and whatnot. Yeah, you know, because she, like your wife, she doesn't listen to the podcast at all. Sure. <laughs> so. I was telling her, and she was kind of like ho hum about it. And I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Well, he actually like got to hang out with this guy. Like, he came over." And I'm like, "And uh, she goes, oh, what? Really?'" And yeah. all of a sudden, now she's interested. Yeah, right. Know? All of a sudden, now, right? Yeah, that's right. There I was you like, go. Yeah. I was like, Tom's talking about trying to have him come on the podcast, which would be kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm gonna reach out and uh, and, and and investigate that. It'd be a real good, uh, real good thing. Yeah. I was um, yeah, I was thinking of uh, I was um. I was thinking about it the other day, and I have some pictures, and I was I was gonna see if I could drag some of those out, and uh, I was gonna bring them over for you. Yeah. Uh, but I'll probably do that. Probably do that sometime soon. Yeah. Uh, to be able to do that, and that's pretty neat. Uh, I remember he was uh he was releasing um he was releasing uh, uh songs every month at the time when when met when I met him, and so it was really fascinating because he had written uh he had written some songs and released them and uh, then played for us like a couple days later. And so I had actually had an opportunity to download the songs and and, oh, and, cool. and check them out, which was really cool. Um, but it was it was just weird that the timing and and that was an experience with technology because I think Bill, being older, didn't really he hadn't really internalized how quickly information can travel. And and quite honestly, I hadn't I hadn't really either. Uh, and so it was really it was interesting because he released the he released the songs and then he was driving right. And um, and then he was driving, and uh, and so I was listening to these songs and getting to know them pretty well, you know. And and since I really like Bill, uh, it was easy for me to get the songs. I was internalizing the songs, getting the lyrics. Right. And so um, when he played for us, uh, he had only written those songs like a couple days before in his time, right? Like in his time, it That's was exclusive. Yeah, it was. It was like less than a week. Yeah. And so for me, like to be able to kind of you know talk about the songs, it was like jarring. Cause I'd say, oh yeah, okay, you want to play this song? Well, like his song was pretty new for him, you know. So yeah. It's kind of like, oh wow, I just wrote those songs a couple of days ago, you know. No, it it is neat, especially if you're into music. Uh, it, it is neat getting to hang out with uh, even guys that are just in the bands of some of these yeah. guys, like oh, yeah. Lucky Blackwell, who yeah, uh, who I'm friends with, played the Grand Old Opry more times than I can shake a stick at. Yeah, I you know he came up. He's uh, he was friends with my dad That's cool. and my mom for. Uh, since I since before I was born, um, so they kind of know each other since they were kids. <clears throat> and uh, he starred in the Oregon Trail when he was a kid. In that movie. Oh wow! Uh, but then Very would nice. go on. And anyways, when he come up, we got to play together, and uh, we were trying to figure out. Well, not we. 
me. Yeah. I was on the guitar trying to figure out Dixieland Delight. And there's a little walk down in the beginning. It's a song by Alabama. Yeah. And I was like, man, I can't figure that out. And so he's getting frustrated because he like knows the whole fiddle part. <laughs> right. And so you know what he does? Yeah. He pulls out his cell phone. He's like, hang on a second. He do got a flip phone, by the way. Oh, man. Okay. Pulls out his cell phone. Yeah. Calls up Jeff Cook That's so from cool. Alabama, the fiddle and guitar player. That's so cool. Yeah. And Jeff Cook is, is no longer with us anymore, unfortunately. Um, but- He's like, hey man, how how do you play that uh that step down there, there in the beginning of Dixieland Delight? And he's like, oh, you, you just do this B minor and just take your middle finger off it, and then there you go. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! Oh man, I'm like, so I play it, and he's like, I I guess Jeff in the background heard me play. He's like, yeah, that's it. So Lucky's just hanging up. All right, yep. cool. All right, but Lucky's just telling me all the time. He's like, yeah, I've been fired by the best of them. Dude, he's played with Chestnut, Diffie, uh, Singletary. Um, Craig Morgan, but it is yeah. cool to be in the presence of some of those people, you know. And I've been Isn't playing, yeah. I mean, I've been playing guitar thirty years, and you get around somebody like that, and you just feel inadequate. I know, you know, it's it really is. I'm in awe when I watch people play. Like it, it's weird to me that like my kids don't want to watch me play. Yeah, because I like I don't consider myself good, but I can look back when I was a kid, right? And I remember like my cousin who I'm better than now. Yeah. You know, and I remember being able to watch him for just hours, you know. So I can't, yeah. like, a professional musician, like, Lucky was sick and tired of playing fiddle, but I was like, I don't care. Like, can you play this? Can you play that? Yeah, right, sure. This? And he's like, he just wanted to put it away, you know. Oh, I know, I know. It's really something you can tell you can kind of the difference sometimes, you know. I remember when I was a, a kid and, and, you know, um, you know, seeing a guy with real talent for the first time, you know, yeah. and then it, it kind of washes over you. You know, you kind of brought to the edge of the cliff of the whole, you know, the whole conversation happens in like two seconds. You know, you're like, okay, well, you know, I'm good and you're good and we're all in this together. And then they start playing and you like go, we're not on the, the same way. planet. Yeah. In like the span of about 1.1 seconds, you go from we're all good to, you know what, you're just on a different plane than I am, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine, like, I've always wondered what it would be like to like hang out with somebody like Slash. You know, oh, because no, I know. I, you just you watch him on YouTube mm-hmm. and it's just ridiculous. Oh, no. It's so in person, yeah. and I, I know the TV doesn't do anything justice. No athletes, musicians, none of that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, you get around one of those guys and uh, it's really cool to watch them when you're there with them. And then as soon as they leave, you just want to sell all your instruments because you realize you will never, ever <laughs> rise yeah, to that. Level. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's like, true. You're like, I, wow, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just terrible. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, and then you realize you're like, OK, like. I'm willing to put the work in, but if I put the work in, I'm just going to end up where you are, you know, and you're just like fooling around, you know, like, yeah. you're just, you know, you're just throwing it out there and it sounds like amazing and you got it going on, you know? I just wonder how like they, they just don't miss. Yeah. Like right. some of the techniques that they use, I, I mean, I get it. It comes with practice over time. Like the stuff I do now, I could never, I look back and like, as a kid, I'd be like, oh my, I'm a guitar god. Yeah. Right. You know, but, know you know, I, I, yeah, I guess it's, it's practice over time, but man, it's a lot. If you've ever seen these guys' fretboards, dude, they're just worn out. Look, yeah. look at Willie Nelson's guitar. Right. Yeah. I was watching a documentary. Uh, this is probably stupid, but. He's probably had to have the frets replaced a bunch of times. So actually, the original guitar, um, it wasn't. What it is now is a Martin N20 mm-hmm. um, with a pickup from. Oh, it's an off-brand guitar that was made in the 60s that was given out to a bunch of people. Anyways, the pickup is what made this acoustic uh, kind of stand out. Interesting. Well, it got stepped on by some drunk at a concert, 
And so Willie brought it in and was like, can you fix it? And the guy was like, I, I can't fix it, but what I can do is I can take this pickup, and we got these Martin N20 classical guitars, and I can okay. put it on that. And so he did. Yeah. And the guitar now doesn't look much different, and the reason is is how Willie plays mm. his fingernails, where they hit, which would be like, kind of like to the back of a pick guard. Okay, yeah. It actually digs out the wood. That's where that hole is from. Oh, wow. Is that right? Yeah, so when he gets it replaced, they actually go in and they put a little bit of like lacquer and the special stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cracked. You should see some of the stuff. These They, they call them luthiers if you're a guitar tech. Okay, really? That they, that they do to these instruments. Wow, man. It's phenomenal when you really yeah. start looking into the music industry, some of the stuff, and... You know, no, they really do. A lot of people like they treat the instruments are like living beings, like living things. You know, like I, yeah. I'm not saying they are, but what I'm saying is they they treat them like they are, and how they'll they'll use the same vernacular. Like when they they discuss the guitars, they use the similar vernacular like they do when they're discussing living beings. Yeah, and so it's just wild. I mean, they'll you know when we even give it. I mean, we give it gender. We say it's a she or the neck. <laughs> we use words like caress. You know, there's almost like this relation. It's, it's kind of an intimate relationship. You know, if any. Of these lefty musicians i think they're all lefty but i don't know <laughs> <laughs> maybe toby keys like something that's not I well know. maybe i don't know well that kind of begets a very good discussion if, if about, they start uh, using they them oh yeah you know <laughs> right if we start picking like yeah you they're know, going, neutral pronouns oh, yeah, yeah. For, pronouns for your guitar right yeah that's right it's like it's like pronouns for your guitar then, right? then i'm done yeah yeah there but, you go but no right. it's man it's weird like um like I have the exact same instruments as a lot of these musicians have. Yeah, yeah sure. And I'm like, all right. And I bought it with the intention of being like, okay, cool. I, I get this, and I'm gonna be like that person. Mm. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew that wasn't realistic. Yeah, right. But yeah. I plugged it in, and I was all doubt was removed. Yep, yep, that's right. <laughs> it's like okay. Yep, plug I'm it in, trash. All doubts removed. <laughs> No, it's true. It's true. Yep. And uh, yeah, I didn't. I I've kind of kind of given up on uh, on sounding like in like different people like a while ago. Um, and if it, uh, uh, I'm just happy to get through the day. I'm happy to get through a song if I can get a chance to play one. It's pretty nice. <laughs> um, but you know, it's um, one thing that uh, uh, I think one area in music that's always struck me uh, is not only just the, the guitars and how the music plays, but also the lyrics. Uh, and I think Bill Maloney uh, probably uh, for me his lyrics and the way that he writes mm -hmm. uh, are penetrating. And I consider Bill to be the greatest living songwriter. Uh, but uh, I actually don't consider him to be the best songwriter I've ever encountered. Uh, that would have to go to an individual by the name of Mark Hurd. Mm -hmm. And Mark uh, Mark and Bill had a chance to meet each other, to work together. Uh, Mark, at the near the end of his life, uh, was a producer of one of Bill's first albums. Uh, and so... Uh, and so he worked with him as a producer uh, to come in, and uh, and and so, um, and so they did have a bit of a relationship there. Uh, Mark was not a big, in, was not a big player on the CCM scene, uh, Christian contemporary Christian music. Every yeah, I know. Every time you say it, like I know what you mean now, but I always hear CCR. Oh yeah, CCR. Yeah, yeah, right. No, that's Creedence Clearwater Revival. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, that that's like Fortunate Son and that whole night. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, CCM, uh, Contemporary Christian Music, and uh, so I think Mark kind of came along at the first. Uh, I think Mark kind of came along at the uh, the the first back in about 1981, about 1980, 79, 80, 81, and uh, so that was kind of the beginning of the whole CCM scene. Uh, and so you have all these artists that all kind of they all kind of have this influence on each other, 
Uh, for example, how you know Amy Grant was a big, uh, she was a big superstar and a, a big, um, uh, kind of a big guiding light in the CCM scene. But it was, for example, like Rich Mullins was the guy behind her who wrote a lot of her material and who also performed his own material. Yeah, and uh, and and then uh, you know, as as far as that is concerned, and then Mark Hurd, probably behind him, even more obscure. What you do is you find out that people get. People get celebrated and and viewed in different ways. Uh, for example, how uh, Amy Grant was viewed as uh, as you know very uh, kind of this uh, like in the superstar light, and right. then how uh, for example a guy like Rich Mullins uh, was viewed in a CCM light, although he didn't want to be right, and and so even though he was, he didn't want to be. He he wanted to be. He wanted to to be known for. Uh, for his uh, for his beliefs for Christianity, he wanted to be honest, but he, he still got kind of pigeonholed in that CCM kind of a uh, uh, area, which he didn't really want to be pigeonholed there. Right. And Mark Hurd was even beyond that. I mean, Mark Hurd couldn't really get to a lot of commercial success, and he really struggled, uh, especially throughout the '80s. He became kind of the guy that a lot of CCM artists were aware of, uh, and that they respected and they admired him. Yeah, but they didn't. But he never he never was able to break through. They never were able to admit it. You know, they wouldn't come out and like start saying, "Oh, you know, like you know, my heroes are guys like these guys, like Mark Hurd." You know, they they right. wouldn't really say that. Uh, but uh, behind the scenes, they really did. They 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 really uh, admired him, uh, and he was a big influence on a lot of uh, CCM music and a lot of the way that people wrote about Christianity. Uh, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, Keith Green. A lot of people, a lot of people talk about Keith Green from the seventies. Um. Yeah. yeah. Not familiar with that one. <laughs> okay. All right. Right. Well, maybe that'd be something we can explore sometime. And I'm not really an expert on Keith Green, but if you are, you're out there listening, and you are, you can come on the show and you can educate both of us. <laughs> uh, but a lot of the ways that people talk about Keith Green in the '70s is a way that a lot of people from the '90s talk about Mark Hurd in the '80s. Uh, and Mark was a Mark was a bit of a free spirit. Uh, he was a bit of a of a straight shooter. Uh, and so uh, he, he didn't quite really fit. Uh, and there's this great, uh, great song called Stuck in the Middle that he, uh, he wrote on his last album uh, back in the 80s before his record label dropped him. And uh, he wrote, he said, I'm too holy for this. He said, uh, I'm too holy for the sinners and the saints wish I would leave. Uh, you know, so you kind of get stuck in the middle there. And uh, so Mark was never really able to break through, uh, although he was certainly known. Uh, another artist that we're going to cover uh, here in uh, maybe next week, or if not next week, then the week after maybe, uh, will be Bruce Coburn. And Bruce Coburn is more of a uh, is is a believer, but more of a secular artist, kind of on the left. Uh, and so he's uh, he actually picked up Mark for his own record. For uh, he wanted to take on Mark for his own record label, and unfortunately. Um, because he was a big fan, Bruce Coburn has some great lyrics as well, uh, and um, and so Mark, uh, he was a big fan of Mark's, uh, but Mark died uh, unfortunately before that was able to happen. And Bruce yeah. Coburn has a song actually that he wrote for Mark, uh, and it's a song about hearing about Mark's death for the first time. Uh, and so, uh, and we'll check that one out. That's a that's a really great one. It's wild. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's wild, you know. So you have all these, you know, and then uh, after Mark's death. Um, uh, which he died prematurely, died in his early 40s of a, of a massive heart attack. 
Uh, and so uh, leaving behind a wife and a daughter. And so he left them on the verge of poverty. And so there was a uh, there was a tribute album that was put together. Uh, Pierce Pettis was on it. Um, uh, Bruce Colburn was on it. Um, uh, Bill Melanie is a band, Vigilantes of Love, the VOL is band. That, they were on it, and they did a cover. Uh, and a lot of people, uh, uh, probably Toby Mac, if you know that, from DC Talk. I've heard the yeah, like you know, Toby Mac yeah. did. A, he did a cover on there, and so that was uh, that was something. Sold a lot of albums, but uh, this really raised a lot of awareness uh, for Mark, uh, and so for and all the proceeds from the tribute album went to his family. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, that kind of brought in a lot of awareness, and so a lot of people uh, look back on it uh, from from that time, uh, and that was my introduction to Mark. Uh, I had a friend of mine that would that gave me the um, uh, that gave me the. Um, the tribute album, and yeah. uh, I was a big fan of that album. And from there, went on to check uh, check on some of the uh, some of the original material. So you kind of went backwards. Yeah, I did in a way. I I didn't. I wasn't a fan of Mark when he was alive. Didn't know about him. Uh, he was already gone by the time that I found out about him. Uh, sure. But to go back and to listen and to really look at those uh, those lyrics, I was really struck. I mean, uh, for the. Uh, uh, for those lyrics, uh, you know, the the music, I, I'm not sure if I was able to appreciate in isolation, but the the lyrics, it just struck me as some of the most insightful lyrics that I'd seen. Uh, yeah, a lot of the songwriters they don't um, they don't get credit openly, um, and part of that's that's the business, you know. Mm-hmm. Like Leanne Rhymes just has a prettier face than Daryl Brown. Uh, that's that's you, right. That's true. You would never, you know, you uh, you'd never know that Daryl Brown was behind. Most of her music, Daryl, Daryl Brown um, has worked with Ariana, Ariana Grande. You know, uh, Josh Turner, yeah. uh, his number one hit, which was "Why Don't We Just Dance." And uh, if you go through and you look at how many songs, like, dude, he's it's crazy, man. Crazy. Dolly Parton, he's just Brooks and Dunn, all of them. Uh, he's just he's worked with all of them. So I met the guy, and I was up. In uh, Rutland, Vermont, actually, and wow. I had no idea who this guy was. But much like you with Mark Hurd, uh, my ex-wife had done a whole bunch of research on Leanne Rhymes. She's like a Leanne Rhymes super fan, and we were gonna get to go backstage, and we did get to go back and hang out with like her and her assistant and everything. So I'm wow. just like, she's like, oh, there's Daryl Brown, and he's walking in with like a bunch of Dunkin' Donuts coffees. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, the, like the doors to this old theater were just open, so we just walk in, and I'm like, oh, Daryl Brown, yeah, awesome. I okay, no idea who this guy is. Yeah, right. So you you know we're in uh, the 2000 you know 16 era, and I'm like, hey, wait a second here, you know I got a phone that can talk to outer space. Let me sure. figure out who this Daryl Brown guy is. And I'm like, yeah, oh Keith Urban, Bon Jovi. I'm like, whoa, wow, whoa. yeah. I'm like okay, now I'm gonna start talking to this guy, but yeah, you'll have no idea. Yeah, you so wouldn't know. Eric Church is a uh, singer-songwriter. Yeah. And he's famous now, but before, he was just writing songs for number one hit people, you know? Yeah, no, and a lot. And I don't know, he, something made him come out, and actually, I don't know if he got sick and tired of like not getting notoriety for his music, or he saw maybe that he could make more money that way. Mm. I don't. I don't know what makes them come out, but you almost feel bad for these people, you know? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, a lot of it, it's it's the old adage, like in life. They say it's not what you know, it's who you know. You know, a lot of a lot of times it comes from, for example, being an opening artist, right? Like a lot of these people are able to open for other people. And so they're able to, um, and then, because yep. it's the artists themselves that can appreciate the songs that they do. And so uh, uh, for, um, uh, uh, for example, uh, you know, you'll have a... Um, 
uh, Kenny Chesney, I think, is a you know is a good example. He has that uh, he has a song, uh, you know, "You and Tequila Make Me Crazy." Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's a great song, right? Fun song to play. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a fun mm. song, right? He actually heard that song. It was a uh, it was a uh, I think it was like a husband and wife team. It was like a they they, they got together and did like a duet thing, oh. and so um, they were uh, and so what they would do is um, they were playing clubs, and so uh, somebody would hear heard them, and they told Kenny Chesney like, hey, these guys are pretty good. Like you ought to check these guys out sometime. You know, like they do their own music, and you know, you might want to you know see if they do. You know, you might check them out. So anyhow, he actually had them come in and open into for them, to, for him, and to do a set. And he's like, yeah, why don't you, let's have them come in and then have them do do a set. And so um, uh, they would come on, and he would have them be an opening act. So they'd come on and do like a small set for him. Sure. And then when he was watching them, he he heard the song, and he said, "Wow, that's a really great song." Now no one else would recognize that the song was any good. Mm-hmm. So, but he, but Kenny Chesney did. And so that's what you find with these things. You find people that create the songs are able to get the songs, but they can't present them. Right. Yeah. As soon as Kenny Chesney, because Kenny Chesney is smart enough to know, well, if they do the song, no one's going to say anything. But if I do the song, yeah. you know, it could be a big deal. So then as soon as Kenny Chesney does the tune, boom, you know, then 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 it's instant stardom. But, yeah. you know, he gets that song from them. So for them, their big break is getting to open for Kenny Chesney and getting Kenny Chesney to cover one of their songs, and then they're able to have income from the songs, and they're able to well, get that's what I'm saying. Hope, Yeah, because that's their intellectual property. Yeah. And that's one thing I've been worried about with releasing any of my music is yeah. I don't want someone to hear it and take it. Oh yeah, um, and I don't really know how to protect that stuff. I, I I'm too lazy to figure it out. But, uh, uh, yeah, right. I, I wonder. I mean, I assume that you know he did the right thing. I hope so, and uh, paid those people for that. But yeah, him and him and Grace Potter, um, man, they they recorded it together, but uh, they did it live at Red Rocks, and that is one of the best acoustic recordings that I've ever heard. Really? Yeah. That is a great rendition of that song. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay, yep. I have to check that one out. Yep. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great tune, yep. and uh, I have to check that one out. But uh, yeah, a lot of times it does, and uh, you know, even worse sometimes, even these days, and it makes you really um, appreciate the singer songwriters uh, for what they are, you know, and that's. Um they write their own music. They sit in one room and they, they put it all together. Um, you know, like a lot, because a lot of it now is factory. It's factory done. They have, um, I think it was 60 Minutes a couple of years ago. I think it was two or three years ago. Maybe 60 Minutes did a, a little expose on it. And it's all very, it's so sterile. I mean, I like yeah. the stuff, like Taylor Swift and these things. Like, I can't. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I, like, it's all very sterile. They, they sit down and, and they have all the chord progressions. You know, they'll say, okay, well, we're going to write a love, love song. Okay, well, we're going to need this particular, these are the chord progressions that yep. we have for love songs. And then they'll go through and they start experimenting with the chord progressions. And then, you know, the, somebody comes in, they're professional singers, so they start the tunes, you know, la, 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 and they start the, the melodies. And then they just develop it from there. And it's all done. And what they'll do is they'll create, like, five or six or seven love songs and they'll put them to the artist and then the artist will take them and say well i like these uh you know they'll say uh, they, they'll say there's seven they'll say well i hate these three uh uh and then these two i'm not quite sure of but these two are pretty much like yeah and then what they'll do is say, oh, i like these ones and then they'll they'll bounce it back and forth and yep. then eventually eventually the artist like taylor swift in this particular circumstance will start to add some stuff of their own yeah but then, not much no but not much you but don't need to no and that's where it happens is where they get the singer song to say well this song is written by taylor swift and so and so and so and so actually it no. was approved by taylor swift exactly more than likely. exactly it's actually given to the artist yeah. and then they add a little bit and they 
kind of play around with it and then it becomes what it becomes. Yeah, no, we've we've lost the authenticity. You know, Chat GPT, not only can it write essays for you, uh, you can it will write a song for you. Is that right? You can have it do that. No yeah. way, really. But I mean, the, the amplifier that I have on the way right now that I just ordered. That's unbelievable. That thing, if you want to create a song, you literally just put together, like, say there's four chords or whatever. Mm-hmm. All you do is you turn your app on, turn the amp on, mm, yep. plug in, and play like four chords and just play like two measures of it. Mm. It does the rest for you. And I mean the rest by it puts the entire backing track in, drums, bass, <sighs> piano if there needs to be some. Man. You know, the equipment I got sitting right here in front of you. Mm. You know, yeah. that right there. It 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 tells you like, all right, if I need a, a C sharp, um, yeah, it you will. Can, there you go, right there. And Man. depending on the instrument you need it from, a lot yeah. of the music is just, it's so electronic. But I mean, the lip syncing, there you go. That started back with what, Millie Vanilli? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. So, I, remember. I mean, yeah. this stuff's been going on a while. We're just getting better at it, I guess. Man, I was like that. That was like the beginning music. of gaslighting back there, Millie Vanilli. I don't know if you're old <laughs> enough to remember. I'm a, I'm old. I'm a little older than you, so I remember. Yep. You know, they used to tell people, people used to say about Millie Vanilli, uh, they would. It's like the beginning of the great gaslighting period. People would uh, say, you know, if th- these guys, it's not possible if they can't speak English and they can't, they can't get a sentence together. It's not possible for them to be able to sing the way that they do. And I remember that, like, people at MTV and stuff would gaslight people. They would say, no, no, you know, it's a thing with linguists, linguistics. It's easier to sing English than it is to speak it. So it's not unusual if you're singing it, then you can, you can have all these wonderful lyrics. But then if you're speaking it so much harder you know and just like people would like i've heard that before and you know who says that a lot it's keith urban is that right keith oh urban. yeah keith well, urban says that yeah he's australian yeah, is that because he's australian right and if you hear him talk he don't sing australian does he? he doesn't sing australian no, you don't know he's boy, a country artist that's right that boy that boy can't sing australian no he sings texan no, that's right he's singing texas boy <laughs> that's right that's it man that boy's singing texas he made george Strait sound like pop <laughs> that's just right i mean so I don't know about that, but it's, that argument it it goes uh, goes a long way. But that started with like with Mill, with Millie Vanilli. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean they said it with Millie Vanilli, and then there's the gaslight people for that. And like wow. if that's the case, but if that's the case though, then like why doesn't Led Zeppelin sing in English? Why don't they sing in American? Why don't they sing American? They sing in British, right? I don't, I have no idea. I mean, why David Bowie. Does, David Bowie don't sing American, right? Does that call into question like Ozzy and like the Beatles? Uh, well, possibly, yeah. The Beatles, yeah. How about the Beatles, right? I don't, I don't know. I don't know, man. So that was one of those big questions. Either way, that's why I like the. Your music could suck, and as long as you you wrote it yourself <laughs> and right. you can play it yourself, I'll appreciate it. Yeah, right. No doubt. No doubt. I have great admiration for the great singer songwriters, and uh, and I, I will listen to anybody I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in my, I'd say probably my big three. I'd say probably for me, um, I, I would say. I don't know, maybe like, could be like, I don't know, like 70, like majority, more than half of the music I listen to is just the big three. I love Bill and uh, Bill Maloney, yeah. Mark Hurd, and, and Bruce Coburn is another one. And they play with full bands, but, you know, all this stuff, because it, it, all singer-songwriter can all be distilled down. Yeah. And there's just something raw and emotional about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with the, the, the lyrics, right? When the lyrics can, they really penetrate and do. A singer-songwriter is trying to write really about the human condition, you know, and for me, it's it's really where we're at, you know, and um, I think that uh, there's a lot of value in this because people can't, 
we don't have the social scripts anymore where, you know, believers can match unbelievers. We're all thinking the same thing. You know, we all like the same stuff. We're all moving in the same direction. And so we can all talk to one another. We don't have to talk past one another. Uh, but the I think that when we lose that and, and when we have different presuppositions and we have different ways of looking at the world, we need something more to kind of bring us back to that shared space. And and I think for a lot for me is, is, is music does that for me you know it does that for a lot of people i think is music brings people but people can people can relate to music in in a certain way and then again on top of that would be lyrics and 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 when a singer songwriter can speak into a song where they can bring two divergent forces together mm-hmm. and they can people that would not agree um you know like a uh you know, like for example, uh, the, you know the first song that we're gonna do here from Mark, um, and we're gonna do three songs off the album Second Hand. Uh, and then and Mark has Mark Heard has three big albums uh, from the 1990s. Um, that uh, we have uh, Dry Bones Dance, Second Hand, and uh, Satellite Sky. Uh, and so uh, the middle album is probably the most accessible out of the three. Uh, not over coffee. Uh, you know, something where we can talk about how um, how people. How people move past, we have the, the pace of city life, the pace of modernization, and how what we've done is we've taken all of our dissatisfaction with the modern world, and we've kind of ticky-tackied it into this nonverbal nod, you know, like this little nod over coffee, you know, like, you know, hey, rough weekend, huh? Yep. You know, right? Well, like, you know, hey, there's, there's a whole lot to say about that. And yeah. and, and now that goes back to really the nature of the modern world. Uh, and that's the reason why we have so much of this angst, you know. And, and so you can go back, and we could, talk, we could have a whole podcast for three hours about that. And it might not resonate with some people. Some people might not even want to listen to it. But yet, you get Mark Hurd can write down one song, and it can be played over and over again, and we can layer, unlayer a complex emotional situation like an onion. And so that is just a real talent for me. I, I, I admire it greatly. And... um you know, a song that can reach out to you, you know, because I think we all can see it. I mean, I, some songs are gloomy, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and some songs are introspective, but that doesn't necessarily always hit where it needs to hit. Like, you can have, like, lyrics that can be so penetrating that they, they, they really open up parts of you that have been closed for a long time. And so for me, it's those big three. Those are the big three that can do it for me. You know? Well, every song is going to speak to someone at a different level. Like, uh, you, someone, one person is going to have one song that they're like, man, I identify 100% with that song. T- that same song to somebody else would be like, oh, yeah, like 10%. But I don't I don't think there's too many songs out there that at least one thing in there every single person can identify with because it's all written on human emotion, mm. you know? Uh, you don't just sit down and just just write a song you know it's not a bunch of random words it's a story about life some sort of life experience yeah right you know that's why you hear about songwriters just writing on a napkin yeah you know right song song that i wrote yesterday i couldn't find pen and paper fast enough to get it down to get it down because it's a moment in time it is that's all it is yeah it's a feeling that comes over you and bam it's there yep and it's a moment you talk in time. to any singer songwriter and that is usually how it happens it's not something that they consciously sit down and try to do you know, and right. that's, and the people that have, uh, I don't know if they have more experiences, more emotions or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, natural talent. Uh, but I, I look at artists with, you know, like 
how many albums did uh, Bill Maloney have? Oh, very many. Yeah, I, I couldn't count them. You know, and Mark multiple Hurt dozens. It's yeah. not short on albums. No, not at all. You know, not at all. So you got eight, ten, twelve, fourteen songs per album. Yep. And I just go, oh wow. Yeah, I know it. Like I haven't even written an entire album. <laughs> right. No, I know. I know. That's wild. It's really true. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And so. um it's just it's this way to empathize with people and to be able to to connect in that way. It's really amazing. Yeah, but you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But you're right. You know, it's very hard, hard to connect. You know, probably. Um, yeah, no, it really is hard. But the uh, the only I, song that we've uh, that we're gonna cover that I've heard is not over coffee. You, you introduced me to that one probably six months ago. I did. I did. That's right. I kind of did. I did. Uh, I have not heard the other ones. Though. You have not heard. The other ones are really good. And to be honest, it's really hard not to jump off the cliff. I mean, there's so many good tunes. You know how it is. When I think about one tune, I think about another, and I go, oh, that's so good. I don't know who who, who doesn't. Yeah, who doesn't? It's though? one it's one of them things where you ask somebody, like, you know, what's your favorite, this or that? And they're like, I just can't choose. Right, right. No, exactly, uh, right? No, that, exactly, exactly, right? In Office Office Space, they did that. You seen Office Space? Have have I seen Office Space? Just, don't tell me this is another one like uh, uh oh, you mean like Fight Club? Like Fight Club. Right, we haven't seen right. it. No, is that it was funny. No, I have not seen Fight Club, but I have seen Office Space though. So, yeah, yeah, okay, well, remember Michael Bolton? Uh, Michael Bolton. I've seen Office Space once, so I don't have the movie memorized. Oh, the, the the consultants come in, and one of the guys' names is Michael Bolton. He's like, Oh yeah. He's like, I right. celebrate his whole catalog. He's like, What do you like? And he's like, uh, Yeah, I mean, I kind of like all of it. So, <laughs> that's right. Trying yeah. to play along. That's right. He's trying to play along. That's right. Which song do you like the best? Right. I like all of it. Right? I was watching it, and I'm like, I don't think I can name a Michael Bolton song. I mean, I I don't know who hasn't heard of him. But Michael Bolton doesn't he play like? Doesn't he do the instrumentals? He doesn't do like the lyrics. It's all, does piano he? and stuff. I think. I think yeah, the he guy's got it. a perm. I'm not sure. Does I don't he? even right? know, no. man. Does, isn't he the one that wrote the Hokey Pokey? Sure. Right. Is he right? Sure. But I don't know about, I mean, because, like, the lyrics. Sure. Sure? Is that right? No. No. I have no idea. But, like, <laughs> well, who did write the Hokey Bokey? Sesame Street? I don't know. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, because well, uh, those are some pretty precise lyrics there. I mean, those are pretty elevating. You put your left hand in, and then you put your right hand out, and then you do something with your left leg, and then you shake it you all just, out. You just something. do the opposite. Wait, you, you do what? You You switched from hand to hand. When you put your left hand out, you oh. got to put it back in. You can't just leave it out there. Wait, you, you can't just leave it. Why can't you just leave it back in? Can't you bring it back? Well, actually, in? I think it's in first, then back. out. Is it? Yeah. Oh, wait, it's okay. in, out. Are, are we, well, wait, we're talking singer-songwriter, and we have, we have, <laughs> we've gone down to the hokey pokey. No, now I want to know what the difference is between the hokey pokey and the macarena. Uh, is it the shaking part? I think it's a different dance. Is it a different dance? Well, because the one you got the you got the hand in, and then there's the left foot out. And As a DJ, I can tell you, crowd response would be one of them. Oh yeah, okay, I guess so. That's true. Like as a DJ, so and, and as audience, a DJ, which one do you find yourself <laughs> playing more often? Do you find yourself playing? Is it the hokey pokey? I quite literally have never right played now? the hokey pokey. You've never played the hokey. Pokey. I don't DJ a lot of five year olds. Well, uh, parties. <laughs> well, maybe you ought to give it a try. Maybe maybe it'd be more popular these days. You know, <laughs> and Macarena, you really can't get away with that until you're well in into like the third hour of a wedding reception. Oh, is that right? <laughs> well into the third hour. Oh, is that right? Why is that? Because people's muscles are not as tight and they can uh, do the whole thing. They've 
had a couple drinks. Oh, okay. Is that that point? Yeah, yeah, so here's what you gotta do, like with the DJ thing. You gotta like separate. You gotta separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, you gotta get like everyone on the left side of the dance floor. These people are gonna be doing the hokey pokey, and then you get the other people on the right side of the dance floor and say, okay, these people are gonna be doing the macarena. Some some people aren't having a good time when they're drunk. You get violent drunks. <laughs> I'm not trying to play the hokey pokey. <laughs> you're not. Well, you're not gonna you're not gonna play the hokey pokey at a at a wedding reception because you might get killed. Could you could really? Wow. Wait, well, I, I don't know. these weddings are about peace and love, like not about like, you know, like fighting and arguing and killing and all that sort of thing. You know how families, they sometimes don't get along? There you go. You got like the families left and right, right side this of the aisle. This is really great. Here, I know. So I don't know how many weddings you'll be doing over the next year, but I tell you, the next wedding you do, I you got to help me. I got to be a fly on the wall because it'd be perfect. You get the bride, of the, the family of the bride comes over this side and they're going to do the hokey pokey. And then you get the family of the groom. They come over on the opposite side, and then they're going to do the macarena. I'm gonna hand you the microphone. Oh, this is great! I, I'm doing this, man. I'm absolutely doing this. I'll let you go. Oh man, absolutely! You just get me there and give me the mic, and we're, this would be a great time. I want to see how? Yeah. Oh man, this would be. I want to see that work out for you. Oh man, I can't wait to do this. You might teach me something, man. If you're out there, somebody gotta get married because I gotta get a chance to get, jump out and do this, and this is a great. This ought to be hilarious. Oh, man. All right. Well, anyhow, uh, you're not going to find either the Hokey Pokey or Mark Hurd. Excuse me, or uh, the Macarena and Mark Hurd. You're going to find a couple ones. We're going to do three songs here. We're going to ju- jump right into it. Uh, so we've had a good laugh. and uh, But this first one, Not Over Coffee, is a, a pretty great song here. So let's uh, go ahead. We're going to run through this, and then we're going to talk about it. Without further ado. said words that I might be thinking mm-hmm. And all the little signs that I might give you mm-hmm. Well, there would not be enough There would not be enough So we're not over coffee and say goodbye Smile over coffee and turn to go We know the drill and we do it well We love it, we hate it, ain't that life If I weren't so alone and afraid They might pay me what I worth But it would not be enough You deserve better So we're not over coffee and say goodbye done again today get in the traffic and time will fly look at the sun and pray for rain
Damn of time cannot hold back yeah. Hey The dust that will surely come of these bones mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure I will not have loved enough Will not have loved enough If we could see with wiser eyes What is good and what is sad and what is true uh -huh. Still it would not be enough Could never be enough So we're not over coffee and say goodbye Bolt the door, it's time to go Into the car with the radio on Roll down the Not over coffee by Mark Hurd. Yeah. Um. You know what? You know what I got out of that? Uh, Tell me. In initially. Yeah. This is really sad. <laughs> I almost don't even want to say it. I th I thought about uh, when he started talking about you know get back in the car and uh, with the radio on the windows down all that. Yeah. Uh. I was like, yeah, sounds like leaving church. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> bolt the door. Oh, bolt the door. It's time to go into the car with the radio on. Roll down the windows and blow the horn. Yeah, because you know the whole idea of the song is just you know going through the motions and like yeah we really don't talk you know you know we very deep we just kind of like yeah you know surface talk and whatever and man that reminds me a lot of like you know after service gets over people just hanging out in the hallway you know exchanging pleasantries and then okay we're out of here whoof tie off and uh, what are the uh, yeah you might want to save some of those thoughts for the third song because not there's not I'm not saying that this song doesn't apply to that it does but uh, oh you want to wait I think you'll probably want to save those bullets for uh, for a little later oh boy uh, but um, yeah no it's uh, for me I, I I think this is one of his more popular songs it's been covered many many times uh, but um, it's really I think for me like it just speaks to the nature of modern of the modern age modern modernity yep uh, right like to the modern age where you know there are three things here that that are not enough because in the modern age we are basically we're surrounded by contradiction mm -hmm. and the first contradiction is that we have everything that we need we have so much that we're able to create a life of comfort and yet modern times are categorized by 
a, a lacking, a lacking. We're, we're missing something, you know, as a, people are missing something. And so in the song, I mean, even, and this is written back in 1990. Uh, so even then, I think it's very insightful uh, what uh, Mark was able to put down. And he says here, he says, um, you know, all the little signs that I might give you, they would not be enough. You know, so we have all these different ways now that we can give signs. You know, literally the not over coffee. You know, I can, not over coffee can mean a thousand different things. Uh, you know, uh, so we have all the little signs that we can give you is not enough. Like nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Japanese do this. You know, like a lot. The Japanese have a lot. They don't like to... Oftentimes they will grunt to try to stay, say, you know, say something or they're, they, they'll kind of mix in grunting and nonverbal communication because they're trying to say something beyond the words or they're trying to kind of leave it in this ambiguous way. Yeah. No, you were so, telling me something about that uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I think I was uh, kind of mentioning that. Yep. So, But you think even then, I mean, when you're leaving things up to interpretation, it's never enough, right? So it's, it's not enough. And then he talks about here, pay, you know, if I weren't so alone and afraid, they might pay me what I'm worth, but it would never be enough, you know? So even if we could... Even if we could have a way of non non verbal communication, even if there was like a like a plug, like I could plug me into you, or like if you're the listener right now, and you could plug me into you, and then you just know all my thoughts, and you wouldn't have to listen to the podcast anymore because you just know everything, right? Yeah. Well, like Mark Hurtier, that would not be enough. Or the pay, if you made all the money in the world, would that you know would that be enough? No, it would not be enough. And he says, what if we could see with wiser eyes? You know, what is good? What's sad? What's true? You know, would it be enough? Could never be enough, right? And so a lot of this goes back to Mark's Christian faith, uh, where it. But he's these songs I respect because he's not being explicit with it. You know, he's saying, even if we could tell tell what's true, it wouldn't be enough. Right. And that kind of goes back to like, you know, Lazarus and, you know, he, you know, like, uh, you know, tell my brother, you know, like in Luke. Right. You know, tell my brother about this, you know, at least tell my tell my family at least, you know, about and he says, hey, even if someone rose, rose from the dead, they're still not going to believe it. Yeah, you know, they already. Brothers, what's that? Yeah. Is it with five brothers or something? Yeah. Like you yeah. know, and he says, hey, you know, uh, you know, it's, even if, you know, it, it all comes down to faith, you know, either you're going to believe it or you're not going to believe it. So and even there, it kind of harkens back to where truth is the nature of faith and uh and so and faith is rooted in the simplicity not in all this overcomplication. Mm. uh but uh you know I, I just love this in this particular song he talks about it's about the curse of the second hand you know and that's i think it goes back to um the nature of being versus production Right. You know, in the modern age, we need to produce. And this kind of goes back to Bill Myers. Remember, we were talking about that. Uh, we were talking about that chapter back in the Christian mind uh, where we were talking. Bill Myers was talking about the how the, the Christian mind, the, the modern mind is what mechanical mind. It's all based on production and like what can you get done in the day? How are you going to produce things? Are you going to produce things effectively? You're talking about like when we were talking about, you know, how someone defines themselves like oh you go up and meet someone like what do you do you know rather than in a lot of ways yeah in a lot of ways but yeah i think a lot of it goes back to like blue myers he made the point we look at ourselves in terms of self-worth all right in in terms of we say okay well how much can you know what can i do or how much can i do right and so we base our our sense of worth on what we can do and what we can produce not what not how we love 
right? So, like, all human beings have a desire to love and to be loved. And so we, you know, and so we can choose how we're going to do that. We can say, so one can be, for example, can be transactional, right? If you do something good for me, I'll do something good for you. If you don't do something good for me, then you, I forget, you can forget it, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so you can have it transactional. Or right. maybe, you can, uh, maybe you can base it, uh, you know, maybe you can base it on your family. You can say, well, you know, my family gets unconditional love. I love nothing, what else? But everyone else, you know, it, it just, it's all, what can you do for me lately or whatever. Yeah. You know, but then in in Christianity, uh, you know, we have this whole, we want to love and be loved. You know, we receive the love of Christ and we love others with the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I love that even here. He doesn't have to say it explicitly. You know, you can, uh, you know, you can say it like a preacher or you can, uh, uh, you can, you can say it bluntly or plainly. Um, but, uh, you know, with Mark here, uh, Mark here says, you know, if we could um, love the, I'm sure, sh- and I'm sure I will not have loved enough. You know, he says, the dam of time cannot hold back the dust that will surely come of these bones, right? We're all going to die, right? You know, yeah. like, so we're all going to die. And so, like, at the end of your life, someone says, do you feel like you loved enough? Do you feel like you loved enough? You don't have to love no more. You know, like, you just gave everything you got, everything you had, you know? And here's Mark. He says, I'm sure I will not have loved enough. You know, when I die, I will not have loved enough. Well, that begets the question, is it possible to reach the end of love, right? And if so, where have we seen this before in history, you know? And so, uh, you know, and to ask those difficult questions. So I think that as a singer-songwriter, Mark is asking those difficult questions. He's painting the picture of this impossible situation. And yet, rather than, you know, whereas it, you can be blunt about it and you kind of come forward and then you want to give that blunt answer— uh, Mark doesn't do that. He kind of leaves the answer kind of out there. And so uh, for the listener, and so for the listener, and he, he's kind of pointing towards, you know, Jesus, Jesus on the cross, you know, yeah. the end of love, you know, God died for all people, right? God died for, so that all people could be saved. And then we have, uh, we have this moment of ultimate love. And yet for Mark, he's meeting the, the listener where the listener is at, you know, and he's meeting the listener basically at that nod over coffee, Right. You know, like I can say, hey, you know, have you ever thought about uh, I can say to someone, uh, you know, have you ever thought, uh, uh, you know, about uh, the nature of love? You know, have you ever thought, is it possible for someone to love enough? You know, someone could say, pick up their coffee. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. You know, Mm. right. And they get the coffee. Right. Well, that's just like all a signal. Right. It's oh, you know, I got the coffee. You know, I'm going to multitask because I'm going to drink and talk at the same time. And then, uh, you know, I'm going to do this for a reason. It's because you're putting me behind and I'm going to need a little extra energy in the future to have to catch up to what I really need to get done. The coffee's like an adult pacifier, too. It keeps them around longer. Yeah, right. Well, there you go. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what it's also, too? It's like, well, you know, normally I would just leave on this conversation, but I'll drink coffee and maybe the coffee will make it worth it for me to sit here. Yep. Right. You know? <laughs> so, you know, we have like these signifiers, like, oh, it's not over coffee. Right. And so that's really where Mark wants to meet the listener, where the listener is at. And that's, he's meeting them at the nod over coffee and he's not going to go all the way because the, the the person who's nodding over coffee he he's not at that point yet where he can start to think about the nature of ultimate love and yet you can say you know all the little signs that i might give you it's not enough you know and although we may not get to that ultimate conversation about what is enough and how do we become enough and what does it mean to be enough we can at least at the very minimal and this is kind of where this is where the modern age has left us all this is where the modern age has kind of cut us all off at the knees which is 
at the very least, we can say it and we can at least nod over coffee. We can at least sip coffee and nod our heads and, you know, and, 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 and push past the contradiction. You know, plant, and plant the seed. Plant the seed, right? Yeah, plant the seed. Uh, it's really great in these lyrics. We see, two, we see uh, different contradictions, and I wanted to point out two of them. Hmm. Uh, the, um, the, uh, there's a many of them. He says, uh, you know, we know the drill and we do it well. We love it, we hate it. Wait, we what? The drill? So we have the we have our we have the we have the the the, the, mo- the modern schedule. Well, we love it. We hate it. We love it. It makes us rich and comfortable, but we hate it because we don't feel loved and we don't feel like we're loving and we don't we we don't we don't feel whole, right? And so we have ain't that life? You know, that's that nod over coffee. That's yeah, robotic. Yeah, right. It's robotic, right? And then uh, again here uh, in the next uh, stanza, mm. yes, get in traffic and time will fly. Huh. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Like, is that a thing? Right. Uh-huh. Like, why? Do, like, it's it is, and it's this living contradiction, right? So, if you want to get somewhere from point A to point B, and you want to get there in a timely manner, well, you take you take the highway, right? I mean, that's kind of what everybody thinks, and yet we say, you know, he says, get in traffic and time will fly, right? Well, that's a contradiction, right? It's a contradiction of the modern age. You can say it. So, I just admire it so much, the ability to throw out these lyrics get in traffic and time will fly and everybody listens to it and says no you know what that ain't gonna happen you get in traffic and that's where you that's where time goes to die right i'll tell you right now uh you know here's a contradiction with that yeah at, i don't think there's any place where time moves slower or faster and here's why you're wasting time you're literally that's like right. counting the minutes you're like I have to get up in the morning this is less time i have this time is going by so fast at the same time you're like my goodness, could this tick by any slower? Could this traffic go any slower? <laughs> yeah. At the same time, you know, right, you're thinking right. both things. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you are. You know, you you really are. And so, and I feel like I, I've read that before. And and I don't. I want to consider myself an expert on the subject, but people say like, in the modern age, right? To live in the modern age is to train yourself to is to train yourself to recognize two contradictory ideas as not being contradictory, right? And and so they say, like, that's kind of where, like, the modern age can really break people, you know, is where people people become nihilistic because they look around them and they see people around them who have these two contradictory ideas and then these they, they synergize the ideas. And then, you know, they, they, they do that themselves. But then when they think it through, they realize that the ideas, they don't make sense. And so uh, they become, it, it leads to this sense of nihilism because people don't, people, they're not able to to jive what they see, what they feel, what they know with the nature of the modern world. Hmm. You know, I, I see this sometimes with my own my own son, sometimes Wyatt, every once in a while. Think about that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and it happens to me. I've done my best to try to kind of deprogram myself from a lot of these contradictory thoughts. But every once in a while, I will uh, say something. And my son, you know, Wyatt, he'll he'll look at me and he'll point out to me, oh, you know, the, those two things you just said don't make any sense. And he'll, he'll like, call me out. And I'm like, you know, uh, so I've, I have to guard myself sometimes because, uh, It's your uh, own fault. Yeah, right, you know, because I don't, I feel. <laughs> you raised that. Yeah, I know, I kind of feel stupid <laughs> when he says it. But then he'll say that and then I realize, oh, wow, you know, and then I realize that even though you can do the work, you never can truly get yourself out of that trap of the modern world. You know, I mean, really, I mean, to not be raised in it is one is one thing, but to get yourself out of it is really difficult. It's the reason to they do. call it a rat race. Yeah, 
There's, there's a reason. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, a reason they call it the rat race. No, that's really no. true. That's really true. By design. And that's one of the things, I think, that leads us into our next song. Uh, probably one of Mark's, I would say probably, I don't know, it, you, what is Mark's greatest song? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it, it possibly it's this one. Uh, this is a song that was covered by Toby Mac of DC Talk. Okay. And so you, you may not be overly familiar with him, and, and neither am I, honestly. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of people are, uh, people that are into the CCM scene. I mean, DC Talk is huge. And Toby Mac is probably, like, the biggest CCM star of all time. I mean, probably. Mm. Probably. I don't know. But maybe he is. But um, uh, he covered this tune, and so because of that, it, it gained a, a lot of notoriety. Uh, but really, is it might be one of Mark's greatest tune. Um, and uh, it kind of has to do with this whole concept of the of modernity of how young people, when young people are born, they have a desire to love and to be loved, and they want to know, they want to know about love, how they can receive love, and how they can give love. Um, and it's it, you know it's a, a great little uh, you know this morning uh, uh, you know I was um, yeah, this morning my wife and I were singing some hymns with the girls. And uh, we were, um, a- anyhow, uh, we were singing Jesus Loves Me. You know, that's four verses. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I didn't know that. Did you? No. I had no idea. I was wondering what that noise was, though. Well, no, it's, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, no kidding. It's got like four verses. And the thing is, is that, you know, um, is our youngest daughter, you know, she's just like when we're singing it, and then she comes up and then, you know, she grabs both of our arms, you know, and then she starts you know, she's just, you know, she's just like, dragging everybody together, you know, and then she just starts kind of hugging, hugging it out. And this is great. And it just, no, but it made me realize, I'm like, man, you know, like, she's young and like, she has no bigger, she has no bigger need at any point in time than just to love and to be loved and like to be able to, you know, and like, to, and so, you know, where you're, it is so where, where for her, it's such a simple act. And she's so, you know, even at her age, she's beginning to see, you know, when you get that, that pure to, to, to know that Jesus loves me and that I love my family and that I'm in an environment and where I can love and be loved like that is, whereas from my point of view, you know, and I've been through so much, been through life and, and then you, you're always trying to kind of drag yourself out of the mire, you know, and you're yeah. always trying to, you're always trying to like fight and wrestle with contradiction constantly, you know? And so just, just to, during that time, um, it's all just so innocent and pure and wonderful. Yeah, those are the words I was thinking when you were describing it. Man, it is. It just it warms your heart, you know, and it just it, it will uh, it will uh, you know. And it's funny because, um, you know, I, I think there was in the I, I had a little tiff. I think it was earlier than that. My I, my wife and I had a little tiff, and um, you know, just seeing that it just melts your heart. And all you want to do is just you just want to forgive. You just want to be better for them. Yeah, you do. You want to you be feel better. like a crappy example. Yeah, because there's nothing better than seeing your kids do something that makes you know they love the Lord. Oh, man. Nothing. Yeah, it just seems smile. Nothing's more fulfilling than that. Seems smile. If smile you're, and laugh. If you're a Christian, you know, if you're if you're worldly, maybe, you know, you watch your kid graduate college or get married or something. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, come to know the Lord and times that by a million mm. when your kids come to know Jesus. Oh, just a... There's, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. It's it's not comparable to anything. It can't be. Yeah. So. It really is, yeah. 
I agree. That's, that's great. Was anyone like playing piano? Or were you guys like acapella this morning? Well, no. You know what they do is uh, uh, my wife has a uh, she has a she has a program actually. It's pretty great. It's really wonderful. It's a, a program that we do. It's called Family Hymns. Mm-hmm. And what they do is uh, it comes with a CD where the CD has a uh, the music and they play. It's a piano. It's very simple. It's, very it's a backing simple. track. Yeah, it's like a backing. Oh, here we go. It's like We're a right back, back to that. Yeah, it's like a backing track. And then, uh, <laughs> well, no, I'm getting there. I'll get there eventually. See, we do have the young piano players in the household, but okay. uh, you know, we'll get there eventually. Okay. And uh, but no, the, it comes with a CD, and then there's a backing track, and it's very simple. It's got the piano on it. Nice. And uh, and then every hymn, it comes with you, you get the story behind the hymn. So it's really really cool. So That's we, awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. So we sit down, and so these stories are pretty pretty wild, man. I mean, they're nice. I mean, it's not like. I mean, maybe it stopped short of like, you know, the, the songwriter like, you know, was stuck in the jungle and had to fight, you know, 15 tigers with his bare hands or whatever. But some of these stories are really good. I mean, I mean, just they're they're really profound. And, and um, yeah. so uh, they're really profound in terms of, of how these uh, uh, a lot of these hymns were written. And so what it is, is you'll get on the, the you open it up and then on the left side of the page is the story of, of who wrote the hymn and what the story is behind the hymn. And then, uh, so we'll read the story together. And then uh, once we read the story, then the hymn's on the other side. And so then you turn on the little background track, and it gets the little background thing, and then you sing. And, and listen, like, so, like, that's, and it's wonderful. The, one of the coolest parts of it is that, like, hey, none of us can sing, right? So, I mean, my daughter, my oldest daughter can sing, and she's a great singer. Yeah, she is. And then, uh, yeah, so, she, I mean, but she's a great singer, but, like, mm-hmm. And I mean, I try my best, but we don't really sound that great. But it doesn't matter. I don't care, you know. And like we just belt them out, and then it's great. And so um, it's something that we've been. Uh, my wife's been doing it uh, with uh, with our daughters for a time, and I've I've joined. Uh, so the last I've joined recently, and it's been wonderful. Uh, and so it's just been great to be able to do. Uh, it's awesome, yeah. And having the backstory to a song really makes that song come to life even more. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really wonderful. Actually, it's one of the things with my oldest daughter that I do enjoy is that, um, you know, my oldest daughter, uh, she, you know, she listens to a lot of music, but a lot of it's very instrumental. Sure. And so uh, the music with lyrics that she listens to are almost entirely hymn-based. And so she has a really good, like a, a lot of the hymns, I mean, and I, I'm, I'm close to her. Uh, in terms of knowing a lot of the words, but she's she, she she's really good. She knows a lot of the words, and she so she doesn't need to like move along. And I admire it so much. I do. I admire. I great. I'm a great admirer of it. Because when she sings a song with lyrics, they're usually they're hymn based, and so she has all those hymn lyrics that they're they're kind of it, it, it part of her internal, you know. And it's just so wonderful, man. I, I get so I, I say I'm jealous of it. I mean, and uh, maybe that's not the right term of it, but I admire it greatly. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not. Uh, you're ahead of me. I'm I'm not one of those people that uh, you know has the hymn books, you know, just in the in the bench in front of me, and I don't need it. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean be I on Amazing Grace, and I'm like, eh, I better have the book just in case. <laughs> yeah, right. No, yeah, no, and I I hear you, I hear you. No, and I I talk about it, and it's easy to listen to me talk and say, oh, you know, he's got it all together, and that's really not the case. I mean, you know, I I think I. I don't want, I wouldn't want anybody to have that mistaken opinion. And, and what I would say this is, I give my wife a lot of credit, and probably one of her, I, I will say this, one of my wife's best attributes that I can praise her for is she just, she sees it and she just does, right? And she just, and it's, 
that's I think it's one thing I can really say about her. Like with the hymns, like I will overthink things. Like the underground man, like I'm like I'm like the unto G man, right? No, so like, I will overthink it, right? Not you. No, not me. No, no, not ever. <laughs> but my wife is not. She's like the anti underground man. So and then the uh, she's like the above ground woman man. And so the uh, uh, so she just do. So when it comes down to you know when it comes down to uh, you know for example for for singing. She's not overthinking it, and she'll just get everybody together. Okay, well, we're gonna sing this out, and then oh, you don't want to listen? We'll sit and listen, and then she just does it over and over again until it becomes a beautiful thing. And so, you know, oftentimes, like with the hymns, I'm able to come along and join it when it is a beautiful thing. But I give her a lot of credit because she she did all the work when it was ugly, you yeah. know. And now, even if it's not perfect, and it's not. It's still it's beautiful, you know, and so the I always Lord's get pleased with it. I guarantee. Yeah, that. man, I tell you, and I get, I always get a lot of, uh, I, I give her a lot of praise for, uh, I give her a lot of credit for, um, for, uh, you know, doing the hard work when things are ugly, you know, and the then woman. once you get through the ugly part, it just becomes something so beautiful, and you see that, you know. So I admire the patience. I really do. You got a, you got a good woman. I can tell you that the willingness. Uh, well, you, you yeah, do. no, I hear you. You yeah. do. Uh, You're lucky. You know, it's um, having a wife is a good thing. Good thing. Yep. All right. Well, uh, you know, it's one of the things that we can do to young people that really uh, that can really destroy them and hurt them is uh, to fill them with all this double-minded talk. And it's something that we do so easily, so easily. Uh, and um, that is something that uh, that is something that uh, Mark heard, knew, uh, and he wrote a song about it called Lonely Moon. Uh, and so here we are. This is Lonely Moon. We're going to listen to this. This is maybe Mark Hurd's greatest song. Uh, perhaps, and uh, we'll come back and talk about it. Was a child and a newcomer to the ways of the world ablaze with the light of high noon just to love and to be loved was all he wanted by the light of the lonely moon well they taught him to capture and tame wild pathos Sold in distractions and made every day seem the same. Caught the Holy Ghost lurking in his cellars and threw him out, leaving just a lonely name. Soon they took everything that he lived for. So we asked him to please take his life. They denied him existence, but they let him live in a lonely room. In a lonely room. Oh, he would suckle at the bosom of Mother Earth, but his experience poisons that thought. He falls prey somehow to the silence. Space dark of this lonely blue rock of this lonely blue rock. Hey, hey, hey. 
his path is lit only by the light of the fallen stars When the embers fall to scorch and cut his face He wants to believe in his unbelief In a lonely place But they buried his conscience near to the grave of God Sealed his soul up in a tomb of tears And they scattered his ashes east of Eden someplace On a lonely breeze Oh, I was a child and a newcomer to the ways of the world Eyes ablaze with the light of high new Just to love and to be deeper than I expected. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to listen to Mark Hurd is to have that feeling. So I, I think you're probably experiencing that maybe for the first time there. Yeah, uh, that was a lot deeper than not over coffee, I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Sure was. Oh, I, I mean, he, he starts out, uh, when he first started talking about, you know, the child and a newcomer to yeah. the ways of the world, uh, that's talking about, like, that the innocence of, like, your, your younger daughter. And I, yeah. instantly I thought about, uh, not that this is, like, this this is not a uh, rare thing, but this so this morning, Stephen, my my littlest yeah. three year old, jumps up in bed, you know, with us, and yep. like, he doesn't know any better, you know, he yeah. just wants to cuddle with mom and dad. That's right, and, you know. So you try to soak up that innocence, but yeah, as you go through, you know, yeah, there's so much symbolism in these words, and yeah, um, yeah, we'll we'll break them all down, but yeah. I mean, in essence, you know going through life your innocence is just stripped away and you end up trying to like lie to yourself that you like it right you know yeah. like you're okay with it but you're really not right you yeah. know exactly yeah and there's no question you're really not you know and then he he says he falls prey somehow to the silence of the deep space dark you know he's got there yeah you know, his experience poisons that thought you know that's the only thing that I didn't have time to actually think about because there was so much in there yeah right um, no, so much in there i know so what's your thought on that well i think it's just it's uh, the great singer songwriters right so it's kind of like like if you're going to give people 
the like if you're going to give people the gospel, right? Sometimes giving the gospel is the easy part, right? And the hard part is you have to reach a connection with someone so that they are able to they were able to you're able to set the frame for you know you're able to share a frame a frame of reference a presupposition you're able to share an experience right okay. and so then you're able to um and so one of the things about the singer songwriters is they're able to capture these moments where everyone kind of is living and everyone's kind of struggling at the same time right? yeah like in not over coffee you know it's like the the state of the modern world so everyone is trapped in the modern world and so everyone's got kind of a problem with it now some people have big problems with it some people have small problems with it and they would describe them in different ways but you know everybody feels a little bit of lack in the modern experience and with uh with lonely moon it's just it's amazing in terms of a child and how a child starts and a child only seeks to love and to be loved and what we do and what life and what experience does and so for example for me you know this is an experience you can talk to someone with a small child about the experience of life and then you look at the child and you can see because that's what everybody wants right everybody's like oh you know we have the child so now we got 20 years to figure out how to get to utopia so that the child doesn't have to deal with all the garbage that we had to deal with right well you know this is an opportunity to talk about the nature of living and to talk about original sin and how failure and sin and decay is ever present because of the sinfulness of man uh now that can, you know, for example, so that can be the easiest part, but to set the stage around that can be difficult. So uh, a person like Mark Hurd who can write a song like this, "Lonely Moon," it's just it's amazing because these lyrics can set the frame for what you want to say, and 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 they bring out the yearning that everyone experiences. You know, he says, "Child and newcomer to the ways of the world." You know, uh, you know, eyes ablaze with the light of high noon. Uh, and I love this here. They taught him to capture and tame wild pathos, you know, like here, you know, is that, you know, especially for boys, you know, uh, and, and this is a great one here, you know, uh, for boys you know, is that they, they teach them, you know, don't, you know, don't, don't throw things, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't, don't throw things or don't, uh, you know, it's like with dad and mom, you know, like mom's always don't throw things. Don't put away your toys. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, and then your dad, you know, dad, don't worry about it. Dad says, okay, let's go outside. Go throw this. Okay. Throw it harder. You know, right. <laughs> yeah. Add another brick to that jump, son. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. No, no, <laughs> not like that. Like this. Right. Yeah, right Get right. a shorter board. You wuss. Right. 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 Exactly. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, but, um, uh, and these things here. So, uh, you know, that's okay. it's a, just to tame that and to, uh, you know, the outrage of what you see, you know. Uh, it, it, this is another one I like. It's sold him distractions. This is probably the big line for me, I guess, right here. Sold him distractions that made every day seem the same. Yeah, that's, right? that's literally what this world is full of. Yeah. And that is idolatry, which some people don't realize. Yeah, right, and that is true. That's true. That's very true, uh, uh, and that's exactly right. We'll talk a bit more about that. I think Schlossberg talks about that, too. We'll talk a bit more about that. Idols for Destruction. Idols for Destruction. I think yeah. our next book is picked. Oh, man, I tell you. I, mean, I can't wait. <laughs> and you can't be happier. I couldn't be happier. I was swimming in it the other It was going to be that or what, Dennis Rodman's Bad as I want to be. <laughs> That's right. So. Hey, if you want to, we'll do. We'll do it, man. I bet you that would be a that would be a fun six months that was, right there. There's a contrast. Yeah, there will be a contrast right there. Yeah. <laughs> no, man. I was swimming in Salzburg the other day. It was so wonderful. I can I tell you. The um. So uh. So for here um. Is uh yeah distractions. I think that's a big one. Sold them distractions because distractions are an ever present part of people's lives, and people. That's one thing I've noticed is that people, um. 
you know, Mark Hurd and Tolstoy were two people, my two teachers in terms of distraction. Like, if you try to identify distraction in your life, you will see that it overwhelms your entire life. Like, you're, it just it overwhelms everything. I mean, it's, it, it's so much of what we consider to be events and to be obligations in life. Nonsense. Are nothing more than distraction. That's it. Yeah, and that's it. That's it. Tolstoy used to talk about this a lot, like how, for example, like even up at the rat race, like people who rise up the ladder of like a promotion or they enter yep. the rat race, what they're doing is they're either filling their lives with distraction where yep. there was none or they're trying to trade out their lower class distractions for like a higher, more elevated level of distraction. That's it. That's it. You're you're selling your time. Yeah, pretty That's much. What you're doing. Yeah, you know, like they're like effectively like they're they're time rich, but they don't want to be time rich. Everyone, you know? like, everyone that's like, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. If they really stopped and took a look at it, it's a self-inflicted wound in some way. Mm, mm. It really is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Because you don't need it. Whatever, whatever's going on in their life, and that's fine. If they're happy with it, great. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just saying that objectively. There are things that they could cut out. They just don't want to. Yeah. You know? Sure. And that's every one of us. I'm guilty of that myself. Yep. Yep. You know? Like, there are bills I got to pay every month. <laughs> right. You know? Like, and I just go, well, my pontoon boat's worth it. Right. Sure. But boy, that's a burden. Right. Yeah. I, that I don't need. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Right. You know? Right. <clears throat> that's true. That's, you know, chasing the, the corporate ladder. Do you really need to? You don't have to. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm watching a certain member of my family right now sacrifice time that he'll never get back with his kids mm. yeah. uh, because he wants to chase money. Right. What does that turn money into? That's an idol. Yeah. It turns money into an idol. Yep. Yep. You've placed money above your family. I don't right. think God's happy with that decision. Yeah, no, it's That's, true. You can look at, uh, yeah, you can look at an idol or, um, yeah, as an idol or even as a distraction, you know, the pursuit of yes. money. Yes. Yeah, just as this distraction from what is truly important in terms of loving and to be loved, you know. Good like, luck nodding over coffee. You're going to nod over your cell phone, by the way. Right. There's a distraction. Uh, yeah, there you go, right? There's a distraction, right? There you go. That's right. There is a distraction. Yeah. But that can leave us with always constantly, and that's where a lot of anxiety comes in right that's where like a lot of anxiety comes in and then because of with the distraction um but we don't also too we don't we kind of go past that fundamental question right and this is where the imagery i love this imagery and i've used it many times like mark heard wrote it down but man i've used it a hundred times and this one i love it caught the holy ghost lurking in a cellar so they threw him out i thought of school yeah i I, I thought of public school instantly when i heard that yeah 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 you know i used to have um I used to live, uh, well, I live in a place, and there was a house down the street from me that had a squatter. And, uh, yeah, one time uh, we drove past there, and my my wife noticed that one of the basement doors was was blown out. Not doors, but the windows was busted out. Mm. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, that probably was a squatter in that house uh, because it was, uh, there was no one living there and it was for sale. Yeah. And she so said, I wonder if somebody went through that window, you know? And so anyhow, it, uh, to make a long story short, it came about soon enough that there was a squatter that was living in the basement. Right. And so they had to have the police come and they had to throw them out. Mm. Right. And so uh, this song, everyone has like the Holy ghost. Uh, they caught the Holy ghost lurking in the cellar. Right. So it's like the Holy ghost is lurking in everyone, right? That's what we say when we say everyone has a hole in their heart. You know, everyone has a God-shaped hole in their heart. You know, everyone wants to know. Everyone, you know, everyone wants to have, everyone has that, that, that reason of what, like that love. Everyone has that, 
that need, that yearning. All right, you know that yearning for. for yeah, not everybody. Love. Not everybody has the Holy Spirit. I mean, but everybody does have. Yes. So everybody has that longing, you know? And so I love this. I love this. Everybody has that longing. And I I love this lyric here. Caught the Holy Ghost lurking in a cellar and threw him out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's that when they see that oftentimes, and I've not seen this in my own circles necessarily or in my own children, but I have been around other parents and um, uh, where I've seen other parents where they, they really do a lot. I don't think they mean to. I don't think they're mean spirited, but they do a lot to try to. They, they, they really blunt and and, and kill their their children's souls. Yep. Yeah, you know. I don't know that I could put that any differently. I'd like to add words to that, but yeah, yeah, you know, and, and that's something that we're we talk about. Uh, me and my wife all the time. Yeah, we have to walk that line of like discipline right. without stomping out their spirit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know? Yeah, that's exactly right. You don't right. want to make them a robot. You know, you, you want to yeah. keep them their own bright little person and keep right. them learning and keep them growing. Yep. Without being like, you are you don't matter as a person, you know? Uh, and that's a that's a tough line to walk as a parent sometimes. It is. When, you're, when you have all these distractions, sometimes mostly self-inflicted, and you're stressed out from them. Uh, it yeah. leads into that, I think. I think it makes it harder to to focus on being a godly parent, for sure. It does. It yeah. does. It makes it very hard to focus. Yeah, and that's why it says leaving just a lonely name. You're you're no longer you're you're the personhood of you is gone. Yeah. No, that's right. And it's a wonderful lyric here. It says they denied him existence, but they let him live. Hmm. Boy, I tell you what. Think about that. They denied him existence, but they let him live. So it's, on its face, it sounds like a contradiction. No, it does. But ask but yourself not. this question: Is it possible to live but not to exist? Right. I mean, isn't doesn't that just go go forth to describe the sense of emptiness that people feel? You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right? I mean, you're you're here, you know, but yeah. you're but you're not experiencing life. You know, it's like when people say it, it's kind of like the script, right? When people say, uh, uh, for example, like. Um, you know, if you, uh, uh, you know, the people get, you have scripts that go through life. Okay, well, you're going to, you're going to grow up, you're going to go to school, and then you're going to go to college, you get a degree, and then you're going to meet a girl, and then you're going to go to work, and then you're going to get the wife, and you're going to yep. do this whole thing. And so then people say, okay, well, they go to college, and maybe they, 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 you know, they say, well, um, you know, maybe I want to be, uh, you know, um, and, uh, so maybe they say they, uh, they want to, uh, they want to get a business degree and then they end up going to an office and they work in an office. So they go in every day to work in an office. And then, you know, they have like a, a, you know, they have the marriage and the family and they're just kind of going through the motions and then they need things to distract them. And so they, they're not, they're not existing. They're just, they're living, you know, like they let them live, but they don't let him exist. And so I think that's the difference between the, the distraction, living distraction distracts you from living oh it 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 fulfills the void that is left in you uh from all the disappointment uh from you know society has this narrative like that's all the things you just listed right yeah, like, right you know sure. you, you, the three kids the white picket fence the house the the yes. you know the white collar job type of thing right you get there and you realize society's idea is not fulfilling at all for most people yeah. and if it's not for you then you have to 
make up for that some way because there's really no way to back out of that. You're stuck in that rat race. Yeah. You know? And so what do you do? You you fill the holes where you can. Some people would not such good things, you know? This is where you find your your, your alcoholics and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? Sure. Um, you find your broken homes. This that's all stems from that, from not existing. Yeah, just no, that's following right. a man-made well, narrative. And you, that's exactly right. And so that man-made narrative, you need things to distract you from that existing. You can have to have a reason for existing. And even if your reason for existing, say for example, if you're a man and it's it's in your job and you're working, yep. there's really a statute of limitations on that, right? Because I I don't know if you've seen, you probably have. Uh, you've probably seen it in the military where I, I haven't seen it, but like in a corporate environment you have a guy that can come in and then a guy will make his entire life his existence his reason for existence and that goes for you can you can ride that for a long time right but I, usually the saddest point is usually when that person retires mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. And it's usually when they retire and i've been in those meetings where you know you have like the young people are there and they're all told hey you don't know this guy from adam but he's done a lot for you and you should clap when you're when you're requested to clap and then, you know, as the young people, you're always looking up and all the older people are in the front, you know. Well, the older people are now, like, you know, these are all people who are in the similar state of life. Like, they're all, like, on the decline. So, you know, like, your guy gets up and, you know, he, he's getting the accolades from all of his peers, but his peers are all on the way out. And so, you know, it's not like he doesn't have that sense of, of, of living. You know, you want to get that sense of what came before you and what comes after you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so whereas, uh, you know, being in part of the church, that gives you an opportunity and, and, and being with Christ and being with God, that, and that gives you an opportunity to you have all the, the, the people that came before you that struggled for God before you. Well, and we have then, a sense outside of. Yes. Time. Great. Very good. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. And you have like the sense outside of time of the eternal, right? Yes. Yeah. Whereas exactly. when you're in a business meeting and then you see that person up on stage, they desperately want their youth and what connected them in their youth to be connected to the future because they're trying to extrapolate out into this sense of eternity. But it's over. It, it can never happen. It's over. No, it can it never ends happen. for them. It can never happen. Exactly. You know, the improvements that they made in business simply become ever present. And the young people don't even see it. They don't care. And they're never going to remember this person. And so this person, although for a time they are able to seek the existence that they want, eventually it fades into the past. You know, we've done some gene- some genealogy work in our family. And it is shocking. I mean, I'll tell you, because my, my mother started it. My mother started to do some, some genealogy work. And I think it scared her because... She could see how quickly that I mean, I'm getting kind of personal here, but you could see how quickly I think she could see how quickly people were, you know, you don't have to go back hundreds of years to see people that fade away and get forgotten. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. like, how much do you know about you? You know, you are a little different because you've done a lot of research and, and, and you know kind of a bit about your family. My family happens to be notable. Uh, at least three, four hundred years back. So, yeah. I mean, but that's 
Yeah, yeah but you who know, knows who before knows? that? Yeah, but I mean, you know, you, I don't know. How many of you, you think about who your great grandparents were, right? How many people are, are really versed with who their great grandparents or what they did? No, I mean, it doesn't take many generations to just kind of fade into history. And so my no. mom, my mom became very aware of, of how she wanted, especially with the grandkids, because she was going to, she was, she was ill and she was going to pass away. And she wanted to make sure that, that her grandkids would remember her and would know her. Yeah. And so, and I, I think that this is uh, something where people have that that real need okay they have that need to live right but then we're all distracting ourselves from living right and so you know what mark here says they denied him existence right so he's got the holy spirit and he's like hey why am i here what is you know like like you know like with my daughter right like jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so right so you know like we're so like we have these questions you know like you know, why, you know, like, why am I here? What kind of love put me on this earth? You know, like, you know, like how, you know, like, who do I love? You know, how to love and to be loved. And then, so for here in the, the lyrics here, you know, we have the difference in living and existing, right? So she wants to exist. Hey, live for God. You know, live because of God and you want to live for God, right? And then, but what we do is we deny people existence. Don't be thinking about anything like that. You know, don't waste your time with any of that stuff. You know what you got to worry about? Getting good grades. That's what you got to worry about, right? You know what you got to worry about? Getting a good job. That's what you need to worry about. And then pretty soon when you're you, you're actually trying to please other people and please your parents and please all the social scripts, then at the end of the day you find yourself doing what endless distraction you done you done forgotten about yourself yeah you know because you have no reason to exist and 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 even if you do have a reason for exist it's one that exists within time and so you're never going to be able to get yourself outside of that paradigm you're always going to be trapped within time which means that in time things are born they grow they decay and they die right sin causes us to stumble and things to die. Right. So even if you have a reason for existing, right? You say, well, I exist for my spouse because eventually, you know, that's wonderful. Well, you know, that's a temporal thing. You know, it doesn't exist forever. And so it never leads to this kind of existence, you know. So to exist for God is the way to exist. And, you know, he says, by the light of the lonely moon. And, you know, as, so and this is where, again, I love it because he frames the situation for people, for the gospel to be interjected, to be put in there, you know? And so it's not just throwing people out like, hey, you know, you want to live a full life, live for God, right? Well, he's pointing out to people, like, this is the condition of your life and getting people to think about and to ruminate on these things. And so then when the gospel comes in, it can find ground, it can find, the seed can find, can, can yeah. grow. Right. And you were talking about uh, purpose and we were talking about that on uh, notes from Blunderground. Yeah. Remember when we were talking about the boy crisis? Yeah, like, yeah, that's right, yeah. Like, men have a natural need to have a purpose. Yeah, that's right, to be useful. Yes, yep. We, yep. Are, we are doers. Yeah, to be useful, we are right. doers. And that's one thing I think is is we've done, we've butchered this word respect, you know, to the point where when I was younger, I used to love the word. Now I just hate it, I can't stand it. People say, well, What does men, it mean anymore? Yeah, no, people say men want to be respected, you know, and that's the thing is when I realized that that word was insufficient uh, and, um, uh, it really bothered me. It really bothered me a lot. So I did a word study on it, and um, the work Jonathan Haidt's done a lot of uh, uh, done some work here uh, with it, and 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 that was really helpful. Uh, but you can do a word study on respect. So effectively, respect is basically a pseudonym. It means it, it's a word that we use to extrapolate admiration. 
So when you say respect, what you really, because people, this is the great, uh, I, I think for men, is we try to tell people, especially women, we try to tell people that the best thing you can do is to respect your husband. The best way that you can respect your husband is to thank him. Oh, hey, thanks for taking out the trash, right? Oh, uh, thank you for, uh, you know, uh, taking care of that phone call. Uh, you know, uh, oh, uh, by the way, you know, thank you for doing the dishes, right? I'm so thankful, right? So this is what, and you hear this, and like, listen, I hear this in churches, I hear it on um, I hear it. I read it in books. I hear. I oh, see, I know. You, you see it everywhere. I know. Right? And it's the biggest line of horse hockey, right? Yep. So respect is closely related to admiration, and admiration, and it's not just any admiration. Okay, it's not that. Well, I admire you because of the way that you love, right? And like, it's not abstract. It, it's directly related to either a specific skill or a specific thought. Right. So when you admire someone, so if you if I say to someone, if I say, if I say, I respect you, right? What now that is a general way, a general nondescript way to say, for example, I admire your guitar playing, right? So you have a skill or something, all right? Or, or like for example, when you say, Oh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you can say, um, you know, uh, uh, I respect you as, or you can say, I respect you as a podcaster. Maybe you're saying, oh, I, uh, I really admire the thoughts that you put forward during today's podcast. You know, when you're able to connect admiration to a specific skill or a specific trait, you know, usually it's a trait, it's like a thought, you know, or, or, or a specific trait, but it's always related to action. Mm-hmm. Then when you can do that, that's, I think, at the end, is really what men really seek. And so those things can only be validated. They can Number one, they can never be validated by women. They can only be validated by other men. And then number two is they, they have to be, or not say have to be, but they usually are, validated in um, an environment of competition. So, right, and that's where... Like, how much money do you make? Exactly. And so this is where society... house. Yeah, and society, even a lot of people who are trying to help the masculine problem, they really do a a net disservice to it. Because what they're doing is they're saying, okay, the best thing for men to do is, you know, don't worry about how much money you make, right? Baloney, man. You know, worry about that. Like, hey, if a guy makes more money than me, then I'm going... This dude has got a trait or a skill that I don't got, all right? And and he can do it. Not only can do it well, but he can do it well. He can do it better than a lot of other people, too. And so, uh, or, you know, he's got some trait. Like, for example, for you, right? Like, when you're, you're like, you're, uh, you're like uh, for you in your situation, right? Your trait that you have that I don't have is you're able to put up in an extreme military situation, extreme war zone for, what, six years? I was in war for two, but I mean, I was okay, in military yeah. for eight, but all right, for eight, yeah. So whatever. for but or whatever, but yeah, but you were able to have that experience, and so that is a trait that I admire, right? Because it's a trait that not everybody can do, right? Mm-hmm. And not everybody has. Well, thank you. Just a job. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you see what I'm saying, though, right? Yeah. And so what it is 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 we always, but we always have that. Um, and so for me, you know, it would be disingenuous for me. To say, oh, well, I could have done it. I just, you know, things worked out differently for me. No, actually, I made a choice not to do it, and you didn't. So, and therefore, it's a, it's a trait that you can admire. But the point that I'm trying to make, though, is that is that we do that in a competitive environment. So a lot of times, uh, people, um, even here in the lyrics, uh, and he says, uh, you know, they taught him to capture and tame wild pathos, right? The idea that we're going to compete and we're going to get better and that we need to be able to 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 uh, 
to be able to search and discover ourselves in that competition. Whereas when you have single-parent homes and then you have single moms, and that's really difficult because they raise the boys in these environment where these these things are disincentivized, right? Yeah. We don't, you know, they're not told this. And so right. the boys, they learn that what they're, you know, they're never told it's a good thing, you know? Like you should, you should, you should want to be the best at what you do. You should want to, 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 to have that, you know? And then, you know, and the Bible says iron sharpens iron, right? You right. know, so we, you, you, you have that. So you're going to use that then you, with love, it allows other men to be able to see and emulate that, and that's how you get that. And respect. there's very strong wording in the Bible about taking care of your family. You know, one that careth not for his own household is worse than an infidel. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty strong wording that you yep. better take care of your house. Yep, yep. It's very strong. Talking about the man's role there. Very, very strong for sure. Very strong. Um, they've they've taken the word uh, respect and it's watered down so much that you almost have to add reverence to it. <laughs> you do in a like, way, like you almost have to add that word to it, like uh, to kind of bring it back to its original forceful meaning. Yeah, no, it really is. I, I think it's um, it it's hard to replace the word. Cause I, I've tried this, where I've tried to replace the word respect with admiration. Yeah, and it's I was shocked because you always get a lot of pushback from it. You get a lot of pushback. Well, yeah, people think you're trying to be prideful. I guess that's true. Yeah, they do. Uh, and I think it's really difficult for people to frame things in that way. Uh, you know, it's um. You know, it's kind of the nature. It's hard because the nature of relationships, right? Like, I think it was Aristotle that said this. Uh, but it was, um, uh, relationships start from a place of, of transactions, right? So they start, like, I mean, think of, like, for example, with this podcast, right? I mean, I had a gri- I had some ideas and you had the equipment. So it's very transactional. Like, you had the equipment but no ideas. I had the ideas but no equipment. And so eventually we're like, hey, we can really help each other out here. Right. Uh, and so friendships start in a way that they're very transactional uh, and then they, they move on into uh, and they develop. Uh, and to be fair, whoa, 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 whoa. To be fair, I was, we were friends beforehand. Well, we were. That's true. We were. Okay. But it's it's an easy example, though. <laughs> okay. right. All right. Well, we were. We were friends beforehand. I want to uh, point that out. Yep, you do. But, you know, you're, you kind of go from that level of transaction where you're kind of friends with someone because they can do something for you. Yeah. And then you're eventually trying to get to the other end where you're having a, um, you know, and that you get to a point where you really value each other, you know, and, and like, so, you know, if you need me, you give me a call, I'll be there for you. If I need you, I'll give you a call, I'll be there for you, you know? Right, right. And then you get to another part, right? The third part is you get to the part where, you know, like, you know, maybe you are with your spouse, right? Like you're sharing hopes and dreams and you're absolutely transparent and, you know, you're, you're an open book, you know? Right. And so maybe that's something that you it takes a lifetime to build, right? And I think a lot of people get uncomfortable with the idea that there's still like transactions to the because when you when you're asking somebody like what do you admire about me and you're not able to come up with an easy answer, then it, it kind of highlights the fact that there's still a lot of transaction you know, oh, absolutely. In, in the friendship, and that's very unsettling for people. Yeah, but people put up with it. Well, yeah, they do. And I think that there is this kind of human condition, a part of the human condition, where people want to be transparent. They want to skip all the baloney and they want to get to the final part. And yet they're not able to. And so they have this kind of desire to want to be authentic. And yet they find that they're not able to get over the hump. You know, yeah. they're not able to get there that over a hump to where they can be transparent about things. I'll be totally honest with you. 
and I can I can definitely say this about myself. Uh, that drives me up a wall when people are fake, and they they if they know they're in a fake situation, right? Mm-hmm. Like they know they're in a transactional situation. Yeah. And then, so they got the transactional friend over here. And then on the other side, they have the true friend that actually has admiration for them. Yeah. They, they will 99 times out of 100 be perfectly happy to be with the transactional friend because that person has a reason to scratch their ego over and over and over. Yeah. That right. literally happens in my own family. It drives me nuts. It drives you nuts. Yeah. I, I don't know why people do that. Yeah. Why can't you just be adults and be honest? Yeah. Like you're not going to get grounded. Right. <laughs> right. Know? Like yeah, can no, we all come enough. to that conclusion? Yeah. No. True you enough. Know? True enough. You know my uh, my friend who introduced me to um, my friend who introduced me to uh, to Mark Hurd, mm-hmm. uh, the first the first thing that he that was really the first thing that he ever said to me uh, when he came to me, he said uh, he said hey you know how sometimes people can. Uh, they want to be transparent with each other, but they, they can't quite get there. Yeah. You know, I said, yeah. And he said, there's this amazing song that you got to hear. You got to hear about it. And he said, you got to, it was the first song. He said, you got to go straight there. You got to, he said, listen to this song. And, uh, and you know, it was the first album. It was the cover, it was the cover album. And yep. so the first time I heard the song was actually, uh, it was covered by another artist. And, and I thought it was really good. My friend said this junk. You got to listen to the original. And to hear Mark Hurd sing it was, is was unbelievable. I mean, uh, and so, um, it really is. And, uh, I've never quite heard people put words to this concept like Mark Hurd does. Uh, but this is um, uh, the third song here. It's off the same album, and the album is Secondhand, if you're interested. Okay, you can look it up. Uh, released by Fingerprint Records uh, in 1991, Secondhand. And uh, this is a monster of a song. This is a banger, Steve. So uh, this one right here. It's still going to be the final one we'll do. Uh, there's much, much more we can do. Uh, but this one is a banger here. Uh, and you can tell it all by the title. Uh, I don't need to tell you what the title is because you can probably guess it. Uh, it's off of second hand and it's I just want to get warm Ant farm town, cold of the lifeblood underfoot. All talking, no touch, just wanna be real. I just wanna be real. shade of gray a good times and the hard times cut from the same gray cloth and all the fires that crackle here consume do not burn all light no heat I just wanna get warm I just wanna get warm hey, hey. Days they rattle past 
train The landscapes Heartaches I don't know what I feel All I know is my condition Is much worse than I can tell Small talk, slow burn I just want to be healed I just want to get well should remember but I have forgotten how I'm all tied up with no time trying to do too much and the thoughts that I've avoided are the ones I need right now like a warm wind that loves hand and I just want to be touched I just want to be touched I just want to be So I didn't tell you this before. Me and uh, Mark actually collabed on that song. <laughs> That's right. Goodness, man. How many ways can you find to say stop being fake? I'm sick of it. Man, I tell you. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, if you're going to do it this well, then you can just keep doing it over and over. I mean, I, I listen, uh, the imagery, unbelievable. I see I, why you said save the... You know, leaving church with the windows down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Until the end. Yep. Yeah. I was gonna say you might want to leave that at the end. Uh, don't. Uh, don't be throwing those out at the beginning. All right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Is right, huh? I mean, wow. I, I just uh, here he says, uh, look the fire here, right? He says, mm-hmm. all talk and the, all, all talk and no touch. So he says, um, hmm. he says uh, the fires here, all the fires that crackle here, they consume but they do not burn. Oof, man. I mean, wow. I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like they're they're making noise, but they're not accomplishing anything. It's just there. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it is is you get to that end because everyone's, you know, you've kind of got that true friend. I mean, right? Everybody's kind of got that true friend. Uh, and and I don't really know exactly how it works in middle age necessarily. I know, um, uh, I don't really claim to have the answers. I know that, um, I know that when you're young. A lot of people have a, a true friend. I don't know if that's true these days. I hope it is. Uh, but I know when I was younger, everyone had like a true friend, someone they could be really transparent with. I find that that is uh, extremely rare as an adult because it's extremely hard as an adult, not because we change so much, mm. but because of our schedules. Yeah, right. Because of our schedules, because of uh, where we live, mm. you know? Yeah, um, your responsibilities change, and good luck trying to find any time to have 
you know, the friendships used to, I mean, when you were a kid, you got out of school 2.30, 3 o'clock. Yeah. And, you know, till the streetlights come on, I mean, you were free to go ride bikes with your friends. At least I was. Yeah, sure. Weekends, same thing. Yep. You know, now what are you doing your weekends? Now you you run your kids around to soccer, baseball, you, you know, you're taking your family to church, you're fixing something on your house. Yeah. Taking your car in to get service. I mean, something. It's always something. Always something. Always something. And if your schedule's clear, guaranteed your friend's got something going on. Yeah. No, that's very true. That's really true. And uh, it's it's interesting, too, you know, how we we don't, we, we, yeah, and you're right. And we, we always call it delaying adulthood. You ever notice that, you know, when, when you're delaying adulthood, if you, you stick with your friends, you leave your schedule open. Like, I don't want to grow up, I want to be a Toys R Us kid? Yeah, kind of like, I don't want to <laughs> grow up. That's right, be a Toys R Us kid. No, a lot, I think marriage, too, has a lot to do with it, too, when you have a spouse. You know, you get, like, you're so, you're you're so, yeah, you're so involved with your spouse, and because you you kind of lose a sense of your per like you're close to your spouse. I mean, at least I I don't know. I've only had one, so I I I me and my wife and I. But that's okay. Show off. No, but I don't. <laughs> but I don't know how it works outside of that paradigm, really. Yeah. You know, because they share with you and you share with them, and then pretty soon you're becoming kind of almost part of each other, and and you're not like my concerns are. I have a lot of concerns, but I also have concerns for my wife. And we have shared concerns, like with our children. So yeah. it's hard to kind of keep things separated sometimes. You know, like, even if I had a great friend and I wanted to get warm, like, what would I say, you know? Like, if I were just to come out, like, it it, it becomes the, you know, because it, it really, it, you know, you get that circle of understanding. You know, you can talk about the thing, and then there's the thing itself, you know? Like, um, like you, you don't, and, and I think, again, too, you and I were talking about the gospel before, you know, like just things that transcend. You know, like in the uh, Notes from Underground, right, when he had like the glass house, the glass palace. Yeah. You know, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, you can make this perfect glass <laughs> right, palace. Right. And then, you know, he can just, he's just going to, he's going to, you know, he's going to take meaning and he's going to crush meaning and stomp on it because and he's going to do it all just so we can destroy the house, right? Despite, yeah. Yeah, just to spite it. And so the only way to overcome the spite of an earthly existence is to embrace what isn't earthly, you know. And the only way to escape the the degradation and the spite that's involved in a temporal existence is to not live in a temporal existence. So it's to get beyond what we know. And so it's not to see what's inside of time. It's to see what's outside of time. You know, it's it's not to see history as as being inside of history you know, as in terms of a glass palace or of a utopia, it's what's outside of history. And so it, we, we want to look at what's transcendent. And so, uh, and so, yeah. And so, um, I, I think that goes back to, again, like in Ecclesiastes, you, you like to, really like to point that out to me, right? Uh, you know, so 12, the, 10 through 12. Yeah, there you go. Right. 12, <laughs> 10 through 12. Right. So there you go. So Ecclesiastes 12, 10 through 12, you can look that up and there, there you go. have to put that on the wall. Have to put that, let's we'll frame it and I'm, put it up. No, nah, I'm going to put the whole chapter, I think, up. Are you really? Yeah, that'd be Ecclesiastes twelve. The the entire chapter is about just basically growing old, and you're like, yeah, this is all pointless. You know, that's what Solomon right. was was writing about. Like this life oh, is, it, yeah. it, it, it's it, it amounts to nothing in the end if it's not for God. Yeah, right. You know, right. And that's essentially what he was saying. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh no, no question. That's what he's saying, and he's being pretty blunt about it too. Yeah, if I was the wisest person to ever live, I probably wouldn't mind doing that either. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I might be a little prideful with that. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no. Yeah, no. I hear you. No, absolutely. 
And uh, it's amazing. I love Solomon, and I do. Uh, I really do, and I love Ecclesiastes. And then even like in the Proverbs, right? I think it's Proverbs twenty-three. Yeah, know? he's uh he's talking about uh, he's talking about all the women that led him astray and led him in idolatry. And then at the end of the chapter, like uh, at the end of the chapter, he's like, oh, "How long before I fall into this again?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> like talk about he was being, just like us. Yeah, like being transparent. You know, <laughs> you're like you know, you just want to say like like hey, listen, this dude, this dude was like in the middle of it. Okay. Right. Now I want you to think of this. Right. That might have been Solomon penning that. Second Timothy three sixteen says that was God breathed, my friend. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So, right. so there you go. That oh, puts a, that puts a different spin on it. Don't. Oh man, I'll tell you. I guess <laughs> it gets it gets pretty deep, pretty fast, pretty good. Oh man, that's pretty wonderful. Uh, but yeah, I, I listen. I love the imagery here, you know. And one of the things I love is uh, the tunnel. Ray right? talks about the tunnel. The days they rattle past me like a tunnel around a train. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've thought of that, I've ruminated on that verse. Yeah. I mean, you just look at it as like how fast your life went by. Yeah, right. Well, and he says, you know, the, the landscapes and the heartaches, I don't know what I feel. I mean, this is like, Herd is coming out here and he's saying, this is pretty raw. I mean, this is pretty raw stuff. It is. I mean, because what he's saying is here, like, look, the days they rattle past me in like a tunnel around a train. So this is a very poetic way of saying that I'm older and Herd was about 40 years old at this time. So he's in middle age and he's reflecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he says, uh, landscapes and heartaches. So he's landscapes. He's seen a lot. And heartaches. He's felt a lot. So he's saying, hey, I've lived a long time. I've seen a lot. I felt a lot. And he says, I don't know what I feel. Right? Mm-hmm. I, so I don't know what I feel. How honest is that? You know? And all I know is my condition is worse than I can tell. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the picture of, like, life goes by you so fast. And it's like, uh, as you get older, you know, problems, if you want to call them, or situations just different situations happen more and more and more because you have to take on more responsibility as you get older. And then if you get into the rat race and you get, you know, caught into that, you add to yourself, Yeah. you know, and eventually you're like, I don't even know how I got to how I feel, you know, and you wind up in some shrinks office on a couch, you know, (laughs) prescribe some medication because you're going nuts. Right. Yeah. And you have no idea. You couldn't name all of the things that, that you've done in your life. That have led you to where you are. Right. How many times I get asked like different things or whatever. And I, I started becoming conscious of this stuff, by the way. When I was when I was in Iraq or when I was in the military at all, I was like, oh, man, I got to remember this thing that just happened. Because I'm like, I know I'm going to forget it later on. Yeah, sure. And I forgot it. You forgot it, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. All the time. I should have wrote it down somewhere. Maybe a book. I don't know. Yeah, or maybe... But then again, yeah. it's not even about that. Look at the first, the first so. lyric, right? The mouths of the best poets speak but a few words, and then lay down stone cold in forgotten fields, right? Like if I say, like if yeah. I say to you, if I say to you, if I say to you, Wordsworth, right? So would you recognize that? Nope. No, Wordsworth. You don't know Wordsworth? No. All right. Well, how about Emerson? Like Ralph Waldo Emerson? Yeah, sure. Right. Sure. So you would recognize it. Would you recognize him as like a great poet, a great writer? Nope. Well, you recognize the name. I recognize the name. I've heard the name. Wow. Okay. So I recognize a I recognize him as a great writer, a good poet. I'm not sure how much of uh, how much of Emerson I could um I see what you're getting at. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of him I could quote. I mean, if you ask me to, to quote or to speak extensively on something he's written, I'm right. not sure that I could. No, you could You could put your... That's the thing. You put your whole life into whatever it is, and eventually you just... 
back to the dust you go. Right, right. And so you don't really know how much. I mean, I have relatives that lived in the early part of the 20th century, and I have no idea. Like, I learned about where they lived, and I learned about, like, how they were raised, and then, and, and, you know, and then the short thing about their life, and then that's all I know. What was and one then, of the first things you wondered about them, though? The, well, I wanted to know what kind of people they were, you know, like what their values were uh, and, and, and what they thought about things. Uh, and it's very interesting how you don't you can see people that live like it's when you look back in your own genealogy, you can see people that live for, you know, almost 70 years. Yeah. And then it says, well, this is when they lived and this is when they died and this is who they married and this is the name of the kids. And then you go, well, I'd like to know what like what they thought about their world or what they thought. No, that's nope. what your whole life amounts to is an obituary. Gone. Right. Gone. You know, and it was terrible. You know, when my mom, like when we, when my mom passed, you know, we, um, we all had a, a, you know, the wake afterwards and people came and people spoke about her, you know, and it lasted for a couple hours, you know, and then, you know, and then like, you know, and then like, um, you know, I'm talking to my dad the other day, you know, my dad says, you know, I really miss your mom, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, which is understandable. And, uh, you know, and I, sure. Um, you know, but. You know, he's always thinking of her, you know, but the people who are at that wake, you know, they're not always thinking of her, you know, like if, if it was you or me, right? You know, like I, I mean, even if I, if I were to, you know, if I were to, some, if something happened to me, you know, like maybe I'd like, you know, maybe I'd choke on a pepper later today or something, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you mourn me for a while, you know, but eventually you got to keep going to live your life. Well, I mean, I keep living my life, but, uh. I have uh, one friend, and you're here all the time. So, uh, oh right, yeah, there you go, I mean, right? So, but, uh, maybe you gnash your teeth every I mean, day and I mean, t- rent your clothes and tear your, you know. Yeah, t- I mean, I don't think I'm crying every day. <laughs> Definitely be more than a passing thought. I mean, I have, I have, right, yeah. you know, uncles that, if they were to pass, I, I might think of them once every six months, maybe. Yeah, right, right. You know? No, and that's, I hear you. That's what your life amounts to. And you know, we were talking a little bit about my family history earlier. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, there are museums. Literally, of my family. They're mm. marked on the National Historical Register. Mm. And guess what? Yep. They still just amount to an obituary in a museum. Who cares? In a museum, right? Yeah. So I don't yeah. care how famous you are. Yeah. When right. you die, people go, oh, wow. And then back yeah. to their life. Well, and then look at I me, mean, too. I look at people like, uh, for example, like in Madonna, like Madonna, you know? Like Madonna was big like when I was a little kid, you know? And then like you watch her now, she's about 65, 70 years old. And um, she's just doing anything that she can to stay relevant. Her son know? just died. I heard that. No, her brother. I think it was her brother. Oh, brother. Was Sorry. Yes, yeah. brother. My bad. The brother. Yeah, her brother just died. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah, no problem. Just no. killed off her kid. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, um, the uh, you know, I think it was her brother that just died. But she's yeah. she'll do anything to stay relevant. And, and, and so in all this. And the reason why, it's not because that... She has all this creativity that she needs to get to the world at the age of 70. It has nothing to do with that because there's plenty of creativity around. You know, we don't need Madonna to be creative. It's the fact that— We could do without her. Well, yeah. It's (laughs) it's the fact that despite the fact that Madonna was so huge in the 80s that now here we are 40 years later— and she just, it just doesn't matter anymore. You know, like if you say, if you say to someone, have you ever heard of Madonna? And they say, no. And you say, have you ever heard of her music? And they say, no. And you say, well, do you think you're going to be okay in life? Or do you think you're going to struggle? They'll go, oh no, I'll be fine in life. Right? Like you can live your whole <laughs> life without hearing any Madonna songs and it's fine. You're going to be perfectly fine. I did not know that. That's good to know. 
So that's that really relieves a lot of stress for me. Is it right? Oh, that uh, you can yeah. forget about Madonna and stuff. Yeah, because okay. I was trying to work through her entire catalog of music, and I just it was struggle. Oh yeah, me, yeah, so. you were. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> did you uh, did you ever figure out that truth or dare thing? Or <laughs> right? Or yeah, dude, I have a. I mean, I was born in eighty four. Had a Vogue or whatever, or <laughs> and all this. Yeah. I have a vague idea of, of Madonna, and I may have heard, like, one or two of her songs. Man, I remember, like, back in high school, man, like, I remember, like, we used to have, like, these, like, uh, these, like, liberal teachers, and they all love Madonna, you know, because, like, the, I guess Madonna was going to be, like, the end of the patriarchy and all this sort of thing. Oh, yeah. But then, like, I remember this one class, like, the guy, they were having, like, the, the Vogue video, and, like, uh, she wore, like, this, like, uh, like a see-through shirt, whatever, and so, the, the I, I looking back on it, it's just so weird to think about. The teacher gets the TV in there, and he goes, oh, well, today we're going to have this big philosophical discussion, you know, and it's like, okay, well, what's we going to We're going to talk about, uh, you know, we're going to talk about standards. We're going to see Madonna here in the see-through shirt, you know, and then is how many people, their parents would want to be able to have all the kids looking at Madonna in the see-through shirt, and then everyone's like, uh, oh, yeah, the parents don't like it, and the, the whole class was a discussion, like, well, why do you think that parents don't want their kids to see these girls in these see-through shirts, you know, and then we're all watching the video and he puts the video of Vogue on there and like I mean I I, th- I thought it was pretty strange at the time but now looking back on it it just seems like the most crazy thing in the world I guess schools were pretty crazy even back then well we had think about it, we had that and then we had this period in the middle where it was like no that stuff's not allowed yes that's and right and now we've swung all the way all the it's way it's not back it's like the other way all the way i mean i can't pendulum imagine has yeah i can't imagine anyone even blinking an eye at like the vogue video now but like i remember i mean the vogue video was so so astoundingly uh pushing the envelope that it was talked about as a fundamental philosophical issue not even i mean but now it's just so passé it's not even a speed bump. That ain't nothing, man. Not even a speed bump anymore. That, that video is very conservative. I would say so, yeah. Uh, compared to today's, you know, stuff we see. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> really is true. It's bad. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it really is true. But, uh, you know, you see this and how, uh, you know, it says they lay down stone cold in forgotten fields. And it always says life goes on in this ant farm town, cold to the life blood underfoot. You know, and, and that really is where you get to the whole, like, so much of, so much of real life, of what we've talked to in real life, is, is simply survival, right? Like, the old days and traditionalism is, so much of it is based on survival. You know, people want to, everybody wants to go and live on a farm. Like, that's survival, right? I mean, and, and everybody wants to, to have the old patriarchy. That's survival. Everybody uh, wants to have the multi-generational households, right? Or not everybody sure. wants to, but everybody admits that the multi-generational households were a big part of tradition. Yep. And that, um, again, is, is survival, right? Is I think, for example, we were talking about respect before and about admiration. Men received admiration when they were on the farm. Men received admiration when survival was at stake. Right. Okay. Because you had to tame the animals and do physical things in order to eat. I know nobody's proud of me when I get like a two for one coupon. You know. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. Right. You know, like somebody <laughs> says, "Hey, you know, can you go out and get dinner?" Like when we just sit down for dinner, the wife's thinking, "Well, I got to go to the store, and I'm the one that made the grocery list, and I'm the one that went to the store, and I'm the one that bought." The stuff and I'm the one that cooked the stuff and I'm the one that's gonna do the dishes. And so the wife's thinking, like, well, where's my thanks? Like, where is where are people appreciating me for what I do, right? Like on a farm, you sit down to dinner, people go, Oh, you know what? Those cat, you know, 
those cows don't get slaughtered without dad, right? Those, uh, you know, those, those fields don't get plowed without dad, right? Like, all the hard work doesn't get done. You know, all that confrontation that goes into con- confronting the neighbors about uh, whatever issue it was, that's dad. So all those things, you, you know, they admire dad because it is survival that's at stake. Fulfill the needed role. Yes, exactly. At that time. You know, like dad can shut the door on the in-laws when they show up because they need a place to stay, a place to live, you know, yeah. and dad says, yes, you can live in my house. I think the closest we get to that nowadays is like, you know, when, you a jar, maybe like jelly or something. Maybe. <laughs> See where I'm going with right. this. Yeah, yeah, sure, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. You have to open that jar and for like half a second, you're like, I'm the only no. one here that could have made this happen. That's it, but not even. Sometimes you get the, you know, they can use the, the contraptions and they get the, they make it easier on them. I'm going to come out against that. You probably are. Yeah, right. No, you are. And hey, so, it's 2023. I could get a movement going. You probably could. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you probably could. A, men, a men's movement. There, there are there are plenty of them. We out need there. a we need a so, masculine yeah. movement to get rid of whatever that tool is called. Oh, well, there you jars. go. You got a lot of competition. I think there's more than a few out there. Yeah, maybe I'll go join one or something. Maybe, yeah, maybe you get the jar competition, <laughs> right? That says a jar competition. It's so bad. Like men's roles have just been squashed and taken away and you know well because it's two things it's two things number one is that men no longer men like to feel useful and so men no longer have a a a preset usefulness in society and then there's the um and then there's the issue and then there's the other issue which is unfortunate it's the issue of sovereignty all right which being being uh, uh is um being a sovereign uh, you know, effectively, being a sovereign is getting to decide what the exception is. You and I have talked about this before. It's the reason why wives are commanded to submit to their husbands. Because, you know, in life, there has to be a sovereign, somebody that gets to set the exception. So, for example, um, you know, in, our, in our, our current society, women are the one that set the exception. Right. Yep. So, for example, so if a man, like when you say a man step up, right? Like what man says, well, men need to step up, right? Well... You ever notice that women are never told to step up, right? Like, you know, they always say, well, men need to step up. Step up to what? Now, if you're in a church, then then that's it. you're talking about God's commandments, and I'm going to separate that out. But let's just think of it in terms of a secular society. Sure. In secular society, women will say, well, I've dated 10 men in the last year, and they all stink, and men need to step up. Well, step up to what? Step up to a woman's expectations. So the woman's expectations is considered to be normal. It's not considered to be anything that is not considered to be anything that uh, is 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 variable or anything that can be moved. It's always said to be the thing. It's always the standard. The standard, yeah, yeah. The standard. And then men have to step up to that. You know, no one ever says, well, you know, men have needs too because they're humans and then women need to do better. You know, women need to consider men's needs. Well, men aren't the sovereign. Right, they're not. They don't get to decide what the exception is. So men are the ones that have to find out what the standard is and then meet the standard, right? And so where this is now, and so, uh, and so that's where uh, we have a, a another problem is where you have the problem is that, you know, men are no longer useful, and so they they're they're always um, so men don't have any leverage in terms of of getting women to treat them as as a sovereign and to be able to uh, consider themselves as people that need to uh, to change and to meet uh, to meet the standard. Well, it's a societal problem too, a real one that people don't actually see is the birth rate. It's affecting that hugely. Absolutely. 
and that oh, has a do. lot of economic consequences. Oh, it's just massive. Along with it. Massive, massive, massive. You know, so and we could do a whole show on that. We could do, a, I could do six hours on that probably. Yeah, no joke. Um, it's weird. I don't know. We, we, you know, we all hear the thing. We all get 24 hours in a day, each one of us, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like money. Like, it doesn't matter um, how much you make. You know, you. it's like the more you make, the more you spend. You always think yep. you're going to have more. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Well, society has advanced. We were talking about, like, women don't get the, the they want, like, credit for, uh, you know, they went to the store and they and then they cooked everything and all that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, society has advanced to where uh, men don't have to go out anymore and raise the cattle and all that mm. stuff That's for the right. most part. For I mean, the most part, have, yeah. You have commercial farmers that do this stuff, but whatever. Uh, they have employees and stuff. You're not you're not on your own in survival. So we have uh, machines that wash our dishes for us and all that. And yet somehow, somehow in today's modern society with all these conveniences that have uh, made things more expedient, we have less time for one another Yeah. than they had back then. Yeah, right. Yeah. A lot of that goes back to survival. You know, survival takes time. You know, and it created this, you know, it's, it's supply and demand. When we have so much comfort, we have... You know, we say that you're either money poor or time rich, right? Right. You know? So the um, the the comforts of a modern world create an opportunity for people to experience both, right? You can experience material comfort in the sense that you don't materially, you're not scared you're going to die. Right. And then you have all this time. So then you end up devaluing it all, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're people... You know, people that don't... Uh, if you're going to die when you're 40, you know, and then uh, and you're... If you're going to die when you're 40 then um, you don't have that time and you want to go through all the phases of life. You know, you want to have your children, experience your grandchildren. Everything's got to happen. That time is so important. Yeah. I was just talking to a a friend of mine yesterday that um, he gets all these crazy travel opportunities uh, because of what his job is. And he could be lazy. And after his 8, 10 hours a day uh, overseas where he's working in Mm -hmm. these different countries... He could just go back to the hotel room and kick back on his duff and just watch TV, but that's yeah. not what he does. He goes out, and we see him post these pictures of being in the craziest places, like places you're not even supposed to take a camera into. Okay, yeah. And I, I was talking to him, like, dude, like you take advantage of all these opportunities that everybody else, like a, a lot of people would just waste them. Yeah. And, right. you know, he, he was military before, too, and yeah. I don't know, some people don't have to be military to necessarily to... Uh, have an understanding that time uh, here on earth is not infinite Um, and so he's making the most of it yeah which is which is cool you know it really is it really is you gotta take all the time you gotta take all the time all the time you know it's funny what you were mentioning about uh about men and women you know before you know i was thinking about like the another problem that we have you know is that um you know, and women are always telling men that they want them to talk more, you know, express their feelings. No, they don't. You know? No, no, I know it's true. <laughs> you ever notice that whenever a woman asks a man to share their feelings and a man does so, that he's always in the wrong, right? You know, because he never shares the right feelings. That's the whole thing about this being a sovereign. Yeah, you I, know? W- I want you to agree with my feelings. Right, exactly, right? So when women say that, they're not saying, they're not they're not actually saying, share your feelings, right? They're saying, it is, mine. They're saying re- can you read my mind? And I'd like you to have explain my own feelings back to me and then validate them, right? Validate yeah, mine. Exactly, right? <laughs> So you're always so you like as a man you're always like oh, okay you share your feelings you're like well you know when you do this I really hate this and it really makes me mad you know and then people go oh no don't share those feelings you know it's always the sovereign that gets to decide what 
feelings are going to be shared and whether those are going to be good feelings or bad feelings, right? right. You know, so, you know, in these relationships, you always, you always have to be aware that there's like a sovereign or whatever, you know, and, and it's difficult to manage. I'll tell you. I'm aware. Yeah, right. No, I hear you. And, you know, being married 25, I've been married for uh, 26 years now. And so. God bless you. Yeah, boy, I'll tell you what. And it's an art form, man, because you got to. Man, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. All right, whether you're talking about Bill Maloney or Mark Hurd or the late, great postmodern philosopher Kenny Rogers, right? There you go. All right, very good. Thank you for joining us on the Digital Blunderground, and we will see you next time. Thanks for joining us on the Digital Blunderground. Don't forget to check out Tom and Steve's flagship podcast, Notes from Blunderground, and their journey from ignorance to knowledge, the Blunderground Railroad. See you next time.